Howard Stern. Anywhere, everywhere. I approve of this show. Sirius XM. On today's show, the king of all media meets the boss. I'm super stoked that he's coming in. As we welcome Presidential Medal of Freedom winner, Oscar winner, 20-time Grammy-winning songwriter, and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen coming on the show. I thought that was never going to happen. No, it's happening. And I'm so excited about it. Gonna bring his guitar. Sit. We're gonna talk. Gonna be very nice. Collaboration between me and Bruce and Rob Zombie. I, I like that. Hey-o. I really was getting into that. Well, I'll let you listen a little more. It's already a big hit. Everybody, uh, happy Halloween today. I'm dressed up as a guy who actually goes into the office and doesn't work out of his house. That's what I'm actually, you're all, you're, you look like you're in a set. Do I? That's not real because I've been so used to seeing you in one setting and now you're back at the office. I'm back at the office. I'm in the office. And my balls. Everything work? I'm testing, testing. My balls are so big right now. Hey, babe, with uh, Bruce Springsteen. Um, everyone's so excited all weekend. My kids were texting me. My yeah. Uh, Bruce Springsteen. Everyone's making me nervous. I mean. Uh, by the way, I'm already feeling a scratch in my throat. I'm pretty sure it's COVID. I've already contracted oh, COVID being back at work. It only took one minute, Robin, and now I am completely <laughs> covered in COVID. How mm. many people did you pass on the way to <laughs> this place? Zero. I got to tell you. <laughs> Where'd you get the COVID then? We had it so buttoned down. I pulled into the building <laughs> and... Um, the guy here who works the elevator, Otis, my old friend Otis, you know Otis. Yes, you saw Otis. Otis was wrapped up like a mummy. They had him covered. <laughs> uh, everyone who met me at the elevated doors, covered. <laughs> they marched me up here. Every security person is covered. Um, then I got into the office. It is completely empty. <laughs> I ran into one person who works for us named Bruce, and I go, Bruce, everyone's so excited you're here. And he was laughing, and uh, but he was covered up in his mask and everything. And, uh, yeah, and so I went to my office. I dumped off my stuff, and then I came right into the studio, which is empty. So the hall was empty from oh, your yeah. office to the studio. The only person uh, sitting in my lap right now is Human Newman, the famous <laughs> disc jockey. 
Um, there was one disc jockey in the uh, hall who tried to get near me. He was tased immediately. He was taken down and uh, arrested. Is he going to be all right? Oh, he's not even going to get to do his show. He was no. arrested. His show's been canceled. He's been fired. <laughs> By the way, this is how I always wanted work to be. Completely sterile. I love it. No, I'm in the studio, and uh, I got to tell you, you know, the Bruce Springsteen excitement is going to give me a heart attack because, um, <laughs> you know, I, all weekend long, I'm thinking Bruce Springsteen. I'm listening to E Street Radio. I'm playing every Bruce Springsteen record on the planet. Uh, I was talking to John you're, Hine. You're immersed and saturated in everything, Bruce. Oh my! I've already done the interview. It's in my head. <laughs> I heard it. It's like, uh, you know, but uh, I'm really excited. And yesterday I did something I don't typically do. I had to, uh, when I was driving into the city, I, I stopped off to see my mother. That's a whole nother story. But she was pretty good, actually. She even said was to me. Was she excited about Bruce? <laughs> you want to know something? And I don't know how this. Yes. Now, listen oh, to this. My. You know, my mother's, uh, you know, out of touch. So I thought. So she was like, tell me again, what are you doing here? Because I don't normally visit her on a Sunday at like uh, three o'clock in the afternoon. I go, Mom, I told you, I'm coming into the city. I haven't done my radio show in two years from my studio. I've been doing it from home. <laughs> what? <laughs> By the way, I think she can hear better than, but she always says what? It's almost becoming a thing now. Right. I go, I'm coming into the studio to interview Bruce Springsteen. I'm going to, I'm uh, Bruce suggested we be together. In the, uh, you know, in the studio. Oh, you did tell me that. What, what, tell me, um, I, uh, Bruce Springsteen, I thought, uh, I did. She like knew all these things about Bruce. She goes, isn't he married to a singer? I go, yes, very good, mom. He's married to huh. Patty, who is in his band and they've been married for many, many years. And, uh, they have three children. Is that right? And then she started asking me questions about Bruce Springsteen, but was very aware of him. Wow, that's uh, shocking. Yeah. Yeah. I was really shocked how many questions she had for me about Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. yeah. Anything you're going to add to the interview? And she was like, no, I mean, but she, she was like, you know, <laughs> how old is he? Is he older than you? I go, yeah, he's got a couple of years on me. But the fact, I go, mom, you know Bruce Springsteen? Of course I know Bruce Springsteen. You didn't test. You didn't ask her to name any songs. Listen, like that. don't press your luck. <laughs> I mean, crazy. I mean, I was really kind of shocked. But uh, yeah. it was like a whole military operation getting me out of the house because I hadn't been in my apartment for years. You know, not I mean, you don't even know if anything works in the apartment. Do you? Are the lights still on? What's going well, on? Well, first of there? all, yeah, I have somebody there who, you know, went in and set everything up for me. But that was a whole thing. Beth was, you know, Beth was setting up my nuts and berries and yogurt for, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's right. Your food has to be set up. Well, Beth was supposed to come in with me or, mm -hmm. you know, for my Bruce Springsteen pre-show. And, uh, she, um, well, she said, look, I got to stay home with Yoda. Yoda, our cat oh, is dying. He's still, yeah. he's still hanging on, huh? Yeah. What a good boy. I, I started to cry the other day because he's in the process of dying. He's got very aggressive cancer, but we've been giving him, um, 
stuff to make him eat. And then the other day, you know, I have this thing with him in the morning. I go Yoda and I bang the brush on the, on the tabletop and he jumps. He flies through the air to the tabletop. He hasn't uh-huh. done that in a while. All of a sudden I did it. He jumped up. He was able to oh. get up and jump and I'm brushing him, telling him I love him. Yoda, you're a good boy. You never do anything wrong. You were, and I just was like losing it. I oh. couldn't take it. So she said to me, I really want to come in, Beth said, but you know, I think I should stay with Yoda. And I, yeah, said, what if right. something happens and neither of you are there? You uh, both will be upset. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so she packed me up a dinner. So I, you know, left the house on Sunday, had to make sure I brought everything in, my special shampoos, <laughs> all my, you know, you know I packed a it bag. It takes a lot to get you out of the house. You know, you don't realize there's a lot. And that was like, um, you know, gee, what am I going to wear for Bruce? But I, I decided to downplay it because I didn't want, like, I, I was had to say, you don't look like you're wearing anything special. No. That was my philosophy. I said, you know, I could wear one of my John Varvatos jackets, like a, you know, velour and really. And then, and then Bruce will look at me and go, you know, I, you look like a douche. <laughs> You're trying a little too hard to impress me. So I went with a sweater and a simple shirt, t-shirt. You know what I mean? I don't want Bruce to think I'm trying to like seduce him or, or show him how cool I am or something. Right. You know what I mean? So. I had three outfits in mind, and I went for a very simple ensemble, you know. I think that was the right move. Thank you. I look okay, right? You look fine. You right. look like you do every day, which is what fine. you should look like. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have this thing that John Barbados made for me years ago. It's a it's a coat that's like down to like, it's it goes past your waist, and the coat goes like mid-length. And it's past um, your waist to your like a knee or above your above your knee, like between your thigh and your, you know, on your thigh, but above your knee. Yeah. With like a big, like foofy velour shirt. And I was like, going to wear that. You look like you're from the 18th century or something. Well, because Bruce would say, what do you, Howard, what are you trying to look like? Like you're in the band? Hello, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like when I posed for the cover of the Rolling Stone and Ralph dressed me up in that poofy shirt and a vest. And I look like I was like little Lord Fauntleroy, whoever that is. You know, I, I don't want, I didn't want to look like. I'm trying to be more rock and roll than Bruce. Right. Because Bruce has a sort of, I mean, he never went for the glam. That's he, why you know, Bruce yeah. doesn't have any embarrassing pictures of himself out there with weird haircuts. I mean, the most rock and roll thing, like where, like, I remember when Bruce got earrings and I thought, ah, right. Bruce shouldn't have earrings. Like, Bruce doesn't need earrings because everybody thinks they know what Bruce should be doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, I, I always was like, Bruce shouldn't have sold his music catalog. Bruce doesn't need earrings. Bruce doesn't do, you know, what Bruce right. would do. We think we know what makes right. Tom, uh, Petty, Tom Petty, right. Bruce, Bruce, David Bowie, David Bowie, and what they should and shouldn't do. I started going through Bruce's catalog of music. It is fucking mind blowing. You know, you do not remember. No one does the albums and the songs and Holy moly, I said, listen, I could do five hours with Bruce just sitting here going through the catalog and asking him about the music. Yeah. 
Forget about uh, anything else. It is so vast. I'm talking about his stuff with the E Street Band and the stuff, his solo. And quite frankly, I don't make a distinction because Bruce writes all this stuff anyway. Right. He's the one in there, you know, driving the whole thing, writing all the music. Like maybe once in a while, he'll let little Steven arrange some, uh, you know, horns or some shit or some strings. But but that's fine. He did write the music. He writes it all. He generated it all. And there's so many. I'm born to run. I think there's like seven singles that were huge. But Bruce never had a number one single that he sang. But cover versions of his songs have been number one. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's crazy. I wonder what if that, that drives mean? him nuts. Yeah. Anyway, all this weekend. You know what? There's something you you sometimes point to and allude to, and there is no answer to it. Mm. But yeah. how does a Bruce Springsteen with all those songs happen when another guy can only write one or another woman can only write one? All I know is I was obsessed with like, I'm reading like he's got like 20 Grammys or something, maybe more. And then he's got the. Um, Where do you put all those? Do you get tired of them after a while? That, well, Rotate he's got them? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, <laughs> the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He's got all these awards like this. He have like would Bruce. See, we could play a game. What would Bruce do? Do you think Bruce takes his awards and puts them in a closet and just puts them away somewhere in a storage facility? Or does Bruce have a display case with all of his awards? I think uh, Bruce has a trophy room. Mm, let me think, because I might make you a bet. <laughs> I want to see if I feel differently. Let me think. If I was Bruce Springsteen, would I have my Grammys and Emmys? Because don't forget, no, he never got an Emmy, but he got a Tony and he got an Academy Award for. Uh, he got Academy Award for the song "Streets of uh, Philadelphia." He yeah. got the um, Tony for his Broadway show. And you could no Graham no no uh, Emmy. To Wait a minute, Emmy. He's got the Tony. I said he he's got a Tony an and Oscar. Okay. He's got the you know all these awards, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but he doesn't have an Emmy. But he has done like I'm going to say he never got an Emmy. I could make an argument that he kind of did, but would Bruce display his? Well, what do you? You can't have it fifty Grammys in a in a closet. Hey. I got three best hair awards. I don't, I have them in a storage <laughs> facility. I don't, I don't display them. Uh, let me think. I'm Bruce Springsteen. What do I do? It would it be kind of lame to go to Bruce's house and see. Although I don't think Bruce gives a he shit. He might not let you in where it is. Like that might be like an inner sanctum. You think it's not in like his living room, but in his office. Right. Not where everybody goes. That's why I say it's a, a room of its own. Like a, like if it's his office, nobody goes in there and sees all that stuff unless he takes them in there. Let me think. I might have a bet with you. All right. I heard a rumor about Bruce. I got to ask him. I heard he hands out Grammys to trick or treaters at Halloween. <laughs> like he's got so many, he can't unload them all. <laughs> hey kid, here here's a Grammy for you. <laughs> Maybe he uses them as like a doorstop, which is a cool thing. Like I've that talked is, to. No, no. Excuse me. I'm thinking. Horrible. I'm thinking out loud. Yeah, man. Here, hold the door. Hold that screen door open with this Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was thinking, like, would he have a room, like a a case? Designated? Because you're not thinking, Howard. 
all the gold records, platinum mm. records. You yeah, know, but, uh, the first time he sold a million. But if I'm, in, like but if I'm Bruce. Contract paycheck. I mean, there's got to be. Here's the thing. What? Like, Bruce has got three kids. Okay, they're grown up now, but you learn very quickly. You can't turn your house if you're a famous person. And I don't have the fame Bruce has, but you can't turn your house into a museum to yourself. Your kids have to be the stars. You know, you have to hang their pictures on the refrigerator. You, in other words, we know he's Bruce Springsteen. He's dad. Do you let your kids be the star or are you going to have trophy room set up in the house? <laughs> and I'm thinking Bruce. No, you're wrong. <laughs> mm. So what are you saying? You're saying he has a designated room filled with his trophies. That's right. And maybe he doesn't well, even go into it often. But every once in a while, he does. And maybe somebody comes over and he says, you know, where do you have all those Grammys? And then Bruce might take him in there. Well, you know, the first question is going to be, Bruce, where do you keep your Grammys? And I'll, I'll list all his awards. <laughs> yeah. um, you see, Robin I mean, I mean, could be wrong. Of- Robin could Whatever be wrong. It is. Rob, no offense to Robin, but she's the wrong person to ask about this because she hangs huge pictures of herself in her house. So I don't know. You know, she's <laughs> uh, uh, thinking like excuse Robin. Excuse me. Hold it a second. Uh, I Hold know it a people second. who have big pictures of themselves too. Well, listen, you. I'm never allowing you in my house again <laughs> if you're going to squeal on me. <laughs> Plenty of trophy rooms in my house. Well, my wife likes looking at those, not me. Um, <laughs> let me think. Does Bruce have his awards? Yeah, I think I'm going to agree. I think Bruce would have the. I don't know that he has a designated room, but. I don't either. No, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'll I never it. saw Bruce on, you know, like, uh, remember when MTV used to have that show where they take you to celebrity houses? Bruce never did that. No, thank God. No, Bruce doesn't do dumb shit like that. Bono yeah. inducted Bruce into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, and part of his speech was, you know what? Bruce Springsteen avoided old shitty videos of himself bad haircuts never had a um opening for his paintings you know at an art museum or something. Right. Like he never did any of the mistakes rock stars make like he but even you know you said it before he doesn't have any of those wardrobe mistakes either that's what i mean uh, yeah you he know wears... he always kept it jeans and a shirt yeah. and whatever and so he doesn't have to walk around like he's in a halloween costume right from the 70s anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny too because there were like back in the 90s when we were at k-rock or maybe even the 80s when we were at k-rock there were a lot of 80s bands yeah that had full-on like you know spandex and then the hair and everything and you see pictures of some of these guys now and they're still wearing it, a lot of them. I know. Um, I see them on planes. Yeah. Like, they've got that. They don't even, they travel in that. <laughs> yeah. And then there were guys who, who you know, wisely got out of that look. And then you look at them even more shocked. You're like, oh, whoa, you don't look like you anymore. <laughs> but Bruce still looks like Bruce because he never changed his look, yeah. which is smart. Oh, Bruce has a home studio built in the garage of his New Jersey farm. That's where he keeps the awards. That's what I bet. Uh, oh, okay, well, then I'm right. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying I don't disagree. Otherwise, I don't I know you. why you wouldn't want that stuff around you. I mean, I really wonder about those people who claim that they use them as doorstops or 
they have them in the bathroom or something like that. Well, I've only gotten one real major award. The only award I ever received, you know, I'm in the Radio Hall of Fame, but that's a lot of, you know, you know my feelings about that. I won't get into it. But the only award I ever got that was sort of an important award was something called the Blockbuster Award. (laughs) (laughs) I know, which is lame because Blockbuster's out of business. But it was televised and I got it for my movie. Yeah, it was um, presented on TV by famous Hollywood people. Yeah. And then... um. Yeah, I uh, I remember it was an actual award. It was like made out of like, it was really substantial. It looked nice. It had glass and stone. It was really nice. And it said Blockbuster Newcomer Award, blah, 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 blah. I took it home and I was like, you know, I'm going to put this on my shelf, you know. And I did. I put it on my shelf and stared at it. And then uh, I think it's still there, but it broke. The I guess maybe the cleaning woman broke the glass part of it so all i have is the stone part but i figure maybe bruce has all that shit all that gear in his house and he's got a studio so that's the appropriate place for it like while he's recording he could look at all his gold albums and stuff right yeah well we can find out what he has in there i mean does he or i mean is it a rotating exhibit or does he have everything Mm, i don't know but like bruce I mean, the guy sold over 150 million albums. I mean, maybe he doesn't need all that. Like, maybe he just kind of like is like, you know what, man? Fuck these awards. And he just throws them in the garbage. But, you know, back in the day, they used to work on the look of that album and the cu- album, mm-hmm. the cu- the liner notes and all of that stuff. You know, their creativity went into that, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just like a throwaway and somebody else designed the album. They used to be involved in everything. Don't you think it'd be cool if, like, Bruce tells us, you know, when I got the Presidential Medal of Freedom, I we had this wobbly table in my house. <laughs> so I put it underneath one of the legs, and it's perfect size. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about that Bruce Springsteen impression I'm doing? Pretty awesome, huh? Well, right I, I wonder if Bruce sounds like that. I can't wait yeah. <laughs> to hear whether you're nailing him or not. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, like, Sunday was like a whole military operation getting me here. I stopped off at my mother's. Then I came into the city, usual city traffic. Jesus, from mid-Long Island to the city must have taken me another two hours. I tell you, I had it with this commuting crap. But um, got into the city, had it all mapped out, had my dinner ready. I ate that while watching. What Bruce. was the dinner packed in? The, do you have special? I have a like, yeah. totes. <laughs> yeah, I have a freezer bag that my wife bought me, and ice packs. You know those blue ice packs? Yes. yes. Yeah, and I wrapped my and I had a, a glass Tupperware with a rubber top, and uh, had my um, had my salad with my you know turkey meatballs and. Uh, <laughs> And it was a nice, nice conglomeration of food. And I was going to eat it in the car after I left my mother's. Oh, yeah. But I felt like the meatballs were too hard to cut up. <laughs> and it would be messy. I know. And in the car, eating is an art form. You got to yeah. have the right food. So I was, yeah, exactly. So I was like staring at the freezer bag going, shit, I'd love to eat this. Because I was watching them on my iPad. After a while, I was getting bored. I uh, watched The Invincible. The Invincible. Have you ever seen that cartoon? The one with the family? Yeah. Of, uh, and they stretch, woman, the woman stretches and the guy, I forget what he no, does. No, 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 no. That's Fantastic no? Four. 
Oh, no. Well, who are the Invincibles? There's a cartoon on Amazon I'm going to recommend. Ralph turned me on to it. It's really good. <clears throat> You're thinking of the Incredibles. This is Mr. Like, That's this is Invincible. Okay. I don't know the Invincibles yeah. then. There's, um, there's this guy who's a superhero, but he's got a wife and a kid. And then the kid gets superpowers and he's training him to take over. But there's a real dark, it's really dark, this comic. Really? Yeah. The, the, all this shit hits the fan. And uh, I'm not going to go into it. I don't want to ruin it for you. But you should really watch it. It's on, Am it's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Please get that out before Bruce. Right. I'm, yeah. Oh, that's the other thing <laughs> with uh, with Bruce. So before I got in my car to come to the city, I made a huge duty, which was great. Because I hate getting into my car when I know I got a five-hour trip. Because I don't want to shit at my mother's place. You know, I'm like petrified. I just don't want to. My dad used to shit in that bathroom and Ugh. he spent way too much time in there. I just don't even want to deal with it. Uh -huh. So I was so excited because everything was working out. I had eaten Metamucil in the morning. <laughs> I had my breakfast and lunch early, ho hoping with great anticipation that before I got in the car at like two o'clock, I would make duty. And I made magnificent duty. Like, really top-notch. I don't even want to get into it because I want to gross Completely you out. Completely emptied the chamber. <laughs> yeah. Like, I looked at it and I went, wow, this is a good start to the Bruce Springsteen experience. I completely evacuated my bowels. I was listening. I was watching. Oh, it was Brad Pitt in that movie, Bullet Train, I think the movie's called. Yeah. And he kept talking about having to go to the bathroom. And he said, I'm ballpointing. What is that? Because you know, that means, you know, like when you hit a ballpoint, you know, you have to hit that little thing and you get the pin nub to stick out a bit. That's what he was saying oh. was happening to him. He was ballpointing. No, I don't do that because I have a Toto <laughs> toilet. I can shoot water up my ass. There's no ballpointing. <laughs> so anyway, I completely evacuated. Felt great. Because... uh and then I planned it out. When I get to my mother's, it takes me about an hour and a half to get to my mother's. I'll pee there. I have no problem with that. You can pee in that bathroom. Yeah. I'll pee there, and that'll hold me till I get to the city. So I had everything mapped out. And it was working. It was working. So then like after Sometimes I left, your body doesn't cooperate with your plan. I know. But I left my mother's, and I'm staring at that dinner. Meanwhile, I left my mother's around 4.30 or so. I don't know what the timeline was, but uh, I spent about an hour and a half with my mother, an hour. And uh, then I'm staring at the bag. I'm like, damn, I want my dinner. This is turkey meatballs. Well, is is the you're going to eat the cold turkey meatballs? Yeah, They're I cold. eat them cold. Gonna, okay. I, I, that's why they were in a glass, so I could heat them in the microwave. But I like it cold. Okay. I like everything cold. So I was in the car watching Omni-Man. Uh, yeah, Omni-Man is the star of Invincible, which, by the way, is voiced by J.K. Simmons, the great actor. Yes. And I knew it right away. I go, I know that voice. Whose voice is that? J.K. Simmons. Anyway, I'm sitting in the car like, hmm. I'd already, like, studied my Bruce Springsteen notes and sort of was thinking about Bruce and what I wanted to talk to him about. And I got about, you know, I really need about 17 days with him. 
to really go over through his career. It's impossible to sit with this guy and, you know, there's a million things you could ask him. But you could go in a lot of directions. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The guy's career is just too monstrous. I even think, you know, if you think about the Beatles and you think about Bruce, yes, the Beatles, but the Beatles had each other. Bruce had to write all that stuff on his own. Yeah, and everybody in the Beatles was writing at some point. Yeah, but anyway, let's get back to what I did. So I was kind of annoyed that I had to come into the city, but also excited because it was, you know, this is an adventure for you. I almost feel like you're already, you're back to the covered wagon days. You had to bring your food. You had to bring your, your cleaning utensils. You had to bring your shampoo. And I'm the only one. Oh yeah. And and Beth packed me a little bag of pistachios and cashews (laughs) for my breakfast and don't ask. And I brought my cholesterol medication. Yeah, you got to pack a lot of stuff. Medicine, yeah. food, yeah, uh, uh, your bag of tricks, your hair stuff. Yeah, yeah. I have two. <laughs> I have two hair products I needed to use for Bruce. So I brought those. I was pretty proud of myself. I didn't leave anything home. It's like going to summer camp, but then Beth like dropped me off at the bus and kissed me goodbye and <laughs> sent me on my way. My mother and I talked. It was pretty good. I'd say 90% of it good, 10% bad. Hmm. That's a good ratio with you two. Yeah. My mother, if I stay too, if I always stay a little too long at my mother's and she gets to me. Like everything, you know, she was really on good behavior. And then she goes, um, you know, all my friends had children that went to, what's it called? What's it called? They went to... uh, I know exactly where she's going because I've heard this rap before. Okay, where'd Um, they go? (laughs) Ivy League colleges. Oh. (laughs) Uh, What? Uh, Ivy, your friend's kids went to Ivy League colleges. That's right. All of my friend's kids went to Ivy League colleges. But, uh, you know, because I was bringing up the fact... That I'm successful what, yeah. in radio. And she was like, and, I, and we were talking about my buddy, Louis Weinstein, Dr. Lou Weinstein. You know, and I went, you know, everybody got out of college and they had a career and they had a house and they had money. And I was being a stupid ass disc jockey. Yes, all of our friends, their kids all went to Ivy League schools, but not you. I go, you know what, mom? Um... Because, and, you know, your, your teachers, none of them uh, told you or told me that they saw anything in you. Like, Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, so I, I said, uh, <laughs> Mom, uh, you know, <laughs> I go, what? I was getting into, I said, well, you know, I have a real love of, I saw in you that you were special, but none of your teachers ever said you were special. Well, uh, now I get defensive. So I go, you know, mom, I think I could have been a really good student, but I was a bit traumatized. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what do you mean traumatized? What are you talking about? Well, you know, mom, 
did it ever occur to you that maybe I was a little bit under, like I was, the last thing I thought about when I went to school was learning. I was afraid for my life. What do you mean? I go, mom, <laughs> did you ever think that maybe it was a little difficult for me that every single one of my friends left in under six months, left the entire community? And the community went from being a white community to a black community and that I had none of my friends left anymore. And I was ostracized and beaten up every day. Yeah. Why didn't you ever say anything to me? <laughs> because maybe you were so caught up in yourself and talking about how liberal you were and how you're not afraid to, that I didn't want to fail you, that I wanted to show you that I wasn't afraid either. And Lord knows dad didn't notice there was a problem. Dad was just interested in making sure he didn't have to sell his house at a loss. And I was so freaked out that it was a matter of survival. I took a beating every day, one or two beatings a day, and had to fight my way out of school at 3 o'clock. So it was a little difficult to concentrate on my education. Ah, oh, you never said anything to anybody. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, who wants to hear? I go, but, you know, Mom, I feel like I am pretty smart and could have done well in school because when I went to college, I graduated magna cum laude. Why? Magna cum laude. I go, oh, that's right. I remember I went to your graduation magna cum laude. <laughs> oh, what was that? that I don't know. Oh, boy. But, you know. And then I felt bad that I was attacking my mother and blaming her for me being a bad student. And not going to an Ivy League school. I mean, right. it's her fault you didn't go to an Ivy League well, school. Well, I, I just, you know, she could take a little responsibility in the <laughs> fact that she was completely ignorant of what was going on in my life. Those people put their children in a better situation. But then I get so, and then I feel guilty. I go, Mom, you were such a great mom. You're the one who told me I should go into radio if that's what I want to do. That's right. Then she perks up. That's right. I told you that job you had at the advertising agency was terrible. You were, Your skin was green. And I said to you, you should be doing what you want to do. This job isn't creative. And then I told you, you know, then she, you know, then she perks now up. Now she's responsible for right, yeah. all of your success. That's right, great. Right. <laughs> And then, like, I'm talking to her about my daughters, and I'm telling her how proud I am of them and how well they do. I'm the one who told Emily what to do because I told her she loves religion and she would be a fabulous rabbi. You know, like. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Emily I, would never have thought of it. I'm going to go now, Mom. What? I'm going to go now, okay? <laughs> Had enough. And I'm laying in you bed. Haven't, you haven't learned the sweet spot yet. No. There is a, you, you should time when it goes bad. You want to know what? leave just before that. It's about <laughs> 42 minutes and 30 seconds in. <laughs> That's when things go south. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, you know, and I'm trying to be pumped up. Bruce Spring. I mean, I'm going to be sitting with Bruce Springsteen. Bruce yes, doesn't do that yes. all the time. Forget Ivy League school. Yeah. Yeah. Now I feel like a moron. <laughs> Whenever I spend time with my mother, I feel like a moron. <laughs> and then my mother, and, and then I'm, you know, I'm feeling good about my career, my life. And then all of a sudden, then she brings me right down into the gutter. She'll go, 
Listen, I don't feel good about myself. Oh, dear. I never did. What do you mean, Mom? I was never that bright myself. And it interrupted my life, and it caused me a lot of pain. I go, what do you mean, Mom, you're not bright? Where did you that, when did that happen? Uh, oh, what did uh, she want to do that she didn't uh, do? I said, Mom, what, what, what in your life? I said, you've accomplished a lot. You had a lovely family, a good marriage. You married the right guy. You were a, an, uh, an, uh, you were a specialist at Mercy Hospital. They trained you. Learned. What is it that you feel you didn't accomplish in life? Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Mom, I'm asking you. I'm curious. You brought it up. You say you don't feel intelligent. What in your life didn't you get to do? Or do you feel you screwed up as a result of lack of intelligence? You're asking me too hard of a question. And I told you I don't want to talk about it. It's nothing I need to talk about with you. Well, now I feel like a moron <laughs> because I look like you and I take after your side of the family. I go, Mom, you have a lot of common sense. You're the one who told me to go into radio, which she didn't. But I give her that. OK, because I got to pump her up now. I'm back. I'm back in the house with her <laughs> pumping her up because she's a depressed woman. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Talk about your daughter's. All Jeez. right. So she left you with a mystery. Yeah, she does that a lot. She's done that before. She gi she gives you a cliffhanger to leave on. She does that all the time. Like she started telling me about something with my father. Uh huh. And then then she. Uh, I don't know. It's just weird. She just cuts off the conversation. She doesn't finish the story. Yeah. And like you know, I wanted to say to her when she was talking to me about being bad in school, I go, Mom. She goes, why didn't you tell anyone? Who am I going to tell? I said, I said to her, well, nobody really looked like they wanted to listen to me. I wanted to say to her, well, dad fucking hated me and never talked to me. <laughs> and what, what, how could I go to him and tell him I'm getting my ass kicked every day? He never even asked me how I was doing. I mean, I, you know, but I didn't want to bum her out. She's 95. Yeah, what's she going to do about it now? Exactly. Can't, you can't turn back the clock. I'm a fucking old man myself. What? I mean, I got to get over it. Why? When she said she floored me. Why didn't you tell anyone you were in big trouble? Mom, you didn't see every one of my friends moved away? I had no friends. I tried to bring a home a kid to play chess with me, and he got beaten up because I was white. You didn't see any of that? Where the fuck were you? That's oh. some conversation. Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> oh, uh, how are the girls? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a nice sunday afternoon yeah well meanwhile so i left there shaking like a little bit wobbly <laughs> i was so fucked up i feel kind of bad too i was leaving her place and some woman spotted me coming out of there and she goes are you howard stern and i go no <laughs> I, I was in any condition to talk to anyone i was a little uh, shaky yeah you know Oh, to whoever that was. Be ready when you leave the house. For that lady, it was me. <laughs> and normally I would say hi, but. He had just been through something. Yeah, I'd just been through a major battle. <laughs> Psychological battle. Oh, man. I told the woman I was Rhea Perlman.
And, uh, <laughs> she believed me. That's sad, huh? She believed it. Well, Rhea Perlman is not as tall as you. I, mean, I know. That's a good she goes, one. She said to me, you're much taller than Rhea Perlman. I go, no, that, this is my real height. And uh, I, I, I play much shorter on TV. <laughs> I do love Rhea Perlman, by the way. Um, For the record. And her husband, Danny DeVito. Love them all. Love them all. Love them both. Super talented. New Jersey people. Just like Bruce. I know. I've seen yeah. uh, Danny DeVito on the train. Have you? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, you know, then I made my way back into the city. I'm the only one wearing a mask. I wear a mask into my building. No one in my building wears a mask. Uh, I no care. one. No you one. had to go on the elevator in your building. Were yeah, there people with you? Nobody. Uh, nobody was on there with me. Okay. Used to be How re- the Halloween decorations. <laughs> you Terrible. Got in for the Halloween decorations. My build. My building where I live in Manhattan. I don't know. They put up Halloween decorations. They look so fucking tacky. I fucking hate Halloween. I just hate <laughs> it. I despise it. It's makes no sense. I don't know what it's about. Did you see that uh, teacher who was, um, she was like, I don't know, like a kindergarten teacher, or, you know, young kids. And when they fucked up, they she put on like the mask from, uh, I don't know, one of these horror movies, like Scream. Uh-huh. And she would scare the kids. I, obviously, she got fired. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> if she doesn't me. know not to do that, she yeah. should be fired. Anyway, so then like I got in, had my dinner. And uh, went to sleep last night. I watched uh, I watched that cartoon, Invincible. I finished that, and then I watched a little bit of uh, The Voice. Show drives really? me crazy. Yeah, I watch it. I haven't seen that in a while. You gotta you gotta record it and fast forward. You can't possibly sit through these judges, the musicians arguing over the. People who are never going to make it in show to business. Get these people, yeah. yeah, it's just not believable. It is kind of funny watching Blake Shelton with Gwen Stefani because they're married. And I, always, I just, I just obsessed. It's like, oh, he's Foxer. Oh, right. Wow. They're going home after. Yeah, he's going to bang her, Gwen <laughs> Stefani. <laughs> and what's her name's cute, Camilla Cabello. She's sitting there. Like, she's sort of, she's too short for me, but she's very cute. And then John Legend. And they fight over who they're going to have. And then the singers sing. And then they, after they fight for them, then they reject them. It's it's a whole, it's too much about. It's very difficult for me to watch John Legend on that show. Why? Because he's not a legend if he's doing that show. <laughs> <laughs> if you do that show, you're not a legend? Yeah, you look. That's how I feel about it. Well, anyway, so I watched a little of that. I go, to, I fell asleep like nine thirty. I woke up at two in the morning. I'm like, oh my god, Bruce is coming in, and I'm all jacked up thinking about yeah. Bruce. And I'm like, I got to get to sleep. Now I have a rule: I do not eat between meals. But I said I, I got to go downstairs and eat so much something so that I I, I get like into well, you a. Came home and you had just spaghetti. Not no, spaghetti. You no had spaghetti. turkey meatballs yeah. and salad. But I don't know. I woke up at two in the morning, so I I loaded up on cashews, and that <laughs> that I don't puts me into a coma, and I fell back asleep. And I 
woke up at about five o'clock this morning. I was like, thank God it fell asleep. Cause I didn't want to be all cranky and. No, you need a good night's sleep. For Bruce. For a good interview. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, Bruce will hardly see me if he sees me at all. And I'm like thinking, what do I wear for Bruce? Right. Everyone <laughs> wants to look good for Bruce. So then I, um, then I, uh, I ran downstairs to eat my breakfast with my Metamucil thinking this will be good. I'll start early. And I'm going to move my bowels. I don't want to move my bowels during Bruce. Oh, you can do that in the morning, too? I, I thought I, you just had a good one. I had a good one, last, you know, the, uh, the day before and at around uh, like 11, 12 o'clock. I, I, you know, it was conceivable that. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, come on, God, please just I'm praying to God for me to move my bowels. So that I won't have to make a dude during uh, this Bruce is what God is tied up with. Yeah, that's why there's Ukraine a, is in a crisis. War in Ukraine, yeah, God is so in, God is so involved with me that horrible <laughs> things are happening around the world, and He's ignoring he's it. with a bowel movement. Yeah, poor you know Nancy Pelosi's husband got attacked, but he's so busy with my bowel movement that he can't protect him. Anyway, so but that didn't happen. I didn't. Um, I didn't move my bowels, but, you know, I peed, I emptied out. And before Bruce gets here, I'll pee again. And that'll, okay. I'll be good. I'll be good. And I'm, I look at the room. We got a big piano here for, for Bruce should, should be so moved. And then I got, look at Bruce's guitars. I got, they got amplifiers and guitars and no, he's got acoustic. He's acoustic. Yeah. I don't see his famous, um, telecaster. Okay. I wonder why Bruce plays a Telecaster and not a Stratocaster. That's a very interesting Stratocaster. I had a Telecaster and the Telecaster is the less expensive version. The Stratocaster is the most expensive, at least back in the day. I don't know what it is now, but Stratocaster, the Fender company makes Stratocasters and Telecasters. If you didn't have a lot of money, you bought a Telecaster. But Bruce certainly has the money to buy a Strat. Jimi Hendrix played a Stratocaster. Am I right, Fred, on all this? I mean, why do you think Bruce plays a Telecaster? Actually, uh, he started off playing a thing called an Esquire. And I don't know if you know what an Esquire is. It's a single pickup Telecaster. That's even cheaper than a Tele. Mm. Okay. Uh, I think he picked it up in a pawn shop, fell in love with the guitar. It was kind of like his Excalibur. So uh, once he started playing that and started maybe achieving some fame, he just liked the way it felt, probably looked good on him. That's always an important thing. Suck another pickup on there, and thus it became a Telecaster, which I you, don't think he plays on stage anymore. You've got to be. Precious. I almost called you this weekend because I was thinking you've got to be. I wish like, you had. Yeah, I, I was thinking you've got to be out of your mind that Bruce is coming in. You're like. Man, I'm telling you right now, I think after this interview, um, I don't want to make everybody in the writing room go crazy. You can retire. I'm going to retire. <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get any fucking better than this. No. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, and I was actually trying to think of, okay, where do you go from here? You're talking to Springsteen today. I can't think of another person in the country, in the world that's a rock star that even comes close to this. Right. And you've, you've really interviewed some major, major people. I think he's more important to me, to me, maybe because I'm younger. I don't know than Mick Jagger. Can I ask you a question? What, what do you think? Yep. I have my opinion. What do you think is the, and it's almost impossible to say this, but what is the greatest Bruce Springsteen album as a collection of songs? I, if, you, I, if you had to I pick actually, one album. If I had to pick one, it's probably the Dark Horse, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Mm. 
because and that was probably the hardest album for him to write because it was like Born to Run came out. Right. That was such such you know, look, after the first two albums, I think the record company was going, You better come up with a hit, otherwise you're gonna be back in the fucking clubs in Jersey. And what did he do? He wrote Born to Run. So, I mean, after that album, it's like, okay, what do you do to top this? I don't think he tried to top it. I think he just went, you know what? I'm just going to write a collection of songs, and they were great songs. Right. Some of the songs on that album are like, forget it. You can't beat it. I'm sure Gary has a different opinion, but there you go. I even liked, uh, and he took a lot of shit for uh, Human Touch and Lucky Town. Those. Why did he take the shit for Lucky Town? I think because he down in Lucky Town, Human Touch, great, great, great songs. He's always been a terrific songwriter. I think he's a better songwriter even than a performer. I mean, and he's a hell of a performer. He's just great. Just great. He's a legend. he took shit for those two records because they were without the E Street Band, right? So people right. got all bummed out that he wanted to try something different. And they're both great records, but he released them simultaneously, and it was confusing. Oh, I remember if that, it was yeah. one record, I think those. I think that would have been a legendary record. Well, well, I think he he got on a roll, is what it was. It's like he wrote one album, and it's like shit. I'm, I'm on a I'm on a hot streak, and he wrote another one, and boom. And I think it just overwhelmed a lot of people's brains. Did right. we ever find out what Bruce is playing now? Fred said he doesn't play. What does he play? Well, he doesn't. Well, he's probably playing a Telecaster on stage, but it's not that Telecaster. I see. But what you're probably going to see today might, uh, if I was to be a betting man, I'm going to say in the room and look at the headstock, and I haven't seen the guitars, so I'll bet you he's either playing a Gibson or uh, I don't even know. I never, never know how to say this. Takamini, Takamine, whatever. Japanese uh, acoustic. Fred, I I think he still uses that guitar from Born to Run. I think he still plays it. I've seen it at shows, and I've talked to his guitar tech. I think it still exists. Here you I, go, gang. I think it's a lookalike. Here's your song, Fred. Great album. Hey, what is that guitar? That, that this is a different subject, but what is that guitar? Lindsey Buckingham plays from Fleetwood Mac. I never oh, saw a guitar like God. that. It's a really strange looking guitar, yeah, but man, he gets a great yeah. sound. What is it? Oh, it's a. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, uh, uh this guy, he kind of makes just he just makes that guitar. It's not like a big uh, guitar company. Oh, okay. I want to say it's not a Parker. I, I I can't think of it off the top of my head. I'd have All to right. look it up. All right. Well, anyway, thank you, Fred. You never go wrong going to Fred. You never do. You got to always hear what Fred's thinking. Well, that was a really good discussion with Fred. Yeah. We ought to write down this date. <laughs> well, you're going to have Springsteen on again. I know what you're thinking, Robin. We finally found something to talk to Fred about, and it took 40 years of knowing him. It took me 30 to get Bruce on. Yeah. And so the truth. Let's go to uh, Jackson in... Uh, Florida. Jackson's calling. Let me see here. This mouse is giving me a little trouble today, but let me see if I can line it up. Hey, Jackson, what up? Howard? Hey, hey uh, so yeah, I touched my first boob yesterday. How old are you? I was at a, yeah, I was at a carnival, and I was making out with a girl named Ashley, and while we were making out, I thought it was kind of awkward, but I wanted to try it. So I asked if I could touch her boob, and she said yes. How old are you? I'm 15. Oh, my. Listen, let me tell you something, son. I'm not bragging, but I touched my first boob when I was 13. (laughs) Is that true? I think so. I don't know. Who remembers? (laughs) 
It was like the most important. I thought you were going to say 30. <laughs> While Bruce was perfecting guitar, I was perfecting touching a boob. It took me a long time. Uh, I remember being so young, it was hardly a boob. It had just grown. Uh, <laughs> it was someone else's boob. It was, <laughs> it was the most important thing in my life to touch those boobs. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't even believe it. Yeah, so how'd you like it, Jackson? Was it exciting? Yeah, it was interesting. I got aroused, which so did she. What? She got, got aroused, too? Yeah, she did. Well, I don't want to talk too much sex with a 15-year-old, you know? No. It could be kind of weird, but all right. Uh, maybe I'll leave it at that. I could ask you some questions like if it was over the shirt, under the shirt, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there with you. Uh, I, I don't want to yeah. get arrested. Okay. It's a little young to be having sexual yeah. discussions with a 15 year old. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's cool. I understand. Yeah. Just know I beat you by two years. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Take care, man. Jackson yep. just touched the girl's boob. Was the it time. over the shirt at 13? Is that what you're calling a milestone? Uh, I think mine was over the shirt, yeah. <laughs> who's going to take off their shirt for Howard Stern? <laughs> I wasn't famous. <laughs> it was just me. Yeah, it might have been over the shirt, to be honest. He says his was under. We don't want to know anymore. Wow. All under. right. All right. All right, kid. Take care. All right. Call me back in yep. three years and I'll interview you about this. For real? <laughs> I will. Right. I hope right, you've gotten, bye. you know, more experience by then, but. Right. Yeah, Hopefully. Whatever. Write it down so you don't forget. Wow. Get that diary going. Hey, Marianne. Uh, what up? Uh, Lindsay Buckingham. Welcome back oh, to the God. freaking XM Studio, Robin. I gotta speak. What a fabulous speaker at a Halloween party from uh, Richard Christie and Rasan and Gary and John Hoyt. Oh. And I want to tell you, Howard, that I cannot believe in the 1978 I met Bruce Springsteen coming out of the Navarro Hotel. I left my job, and the whole band came out, and I got a guitar pick. You believe it, Howard? Wow. Do you believe that? Wow. Well, I'm, I'm, that's my first question to Bruce. You remember meeting Marianne and giving her a guitar pick. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Why did you give Marianne a guitar pick? Like a vintage <laughs> dances across the porch as the radio plays. Roy Orbison is singing for the lonely. Hey, that's me and I want you only. Don't take me home again. I just can't find myself alone anymore. I for you. I am so happy for you. I, I can't believe it. God bless you, Bruce Springsteen. You gave us so many great memories. Alright, enough of our... Well, uh, Lindsay Buckingham, for your information, plays a Rick Turner model 1LBU. A what? That's, a Rick? That's a Rick Turner model 1LBU. Oh. That's what he's known for playing. He's an underrated guitarist. I was watching him. He's pretty fucking good. You know, he like finger pick. He doesn't even use a pick. He just uses his fingers. I don't know how he does that. I mean, his hands should be bleeding. But anyway. All right. So here the fans have written us. Oh, I, I see. Maybe I'll take a little break and then I'll come back and read you what the fans have written us. Bruce will be here at nine o'clock uh, staring at his guitar, staring at the piano. Let's see. I, I count one, two, three, four guitars. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, what a musician. So I'm excited he's coming in. I'm excited. 
So, uh, yeah. Here, let me first tell you this. This is a little business. And I do have a Halloween phony phone call when we come back. I know people. Uh, yeah, well, Marianne that. brought up something. How did the party with uh, <laughs> Richard Christie and, and uh, Gary and Richard Christie, the Halloween party go? Who gives a shit? All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Here we go. I first wanted to um, I do want to get to some of the fan mail we received people commenting on a lot of stuff. And also, I did want to play you this uh, very exciting um, Halloween phony phone call. Everybody loves phony phone calls. And let me see what I got here. It just disappeared on me and miraculously. Okay. So this is, uh, you know, Richard did his rusty character <laughs> for Halloween. He called up a... Um, a religious radio show, and uh, he accidentally conjures up some demons while he's on with them, and all hell broke loose. Really? Yeah. You mean they stayed on? <laughs> to fight Satan? Yeah. Here we go for Halloween, just in time. Here's Rusty accidentally conjuring demons on a religious internet radio show. Good afternoon, everyone. I'll tell you one thing right out, brothers and sisters. The devil, he don't like this, and I expect him to bring a bunch of foolishness. I see somebody, whoever it is, don't come on here with no foolishness, because you will get what you come for. That I promise. Praise God. But let me go over here and see who this is. Hi, praise God. Amen. Yeah, amen. Um, I have a Bible from the olden days I'd like to read from, if that's okay. What's olden days? Give me a year. I'd guess around 4,000 B.C. It's bound in human flesh and written in human blood, mm -hmm. and it's got Book of the Damned written on the cover. Oh, okay. It's a really neat old Bible. Yeah, cool. Well, that's good, brother. You find any particular scripture you'd like to share with us? Sure, I'll read a scripture. It's in Latin. Satra Amistrobin Hazarta. And that means what in English? Here, let me translate it online. Oh, it means, rise now, demons from hell. Demons? No. Hear us, Satan. Satan? Oh, wait a minute. Oops, you know what? This might not be a Bible. Ah. Uh, My Lord, have mercy. We don't need no confusion. Here. Oh, let me keep going. Condor. Oh, I'll stop you right there. Condor. No. Condor. Hmm. <laughs> we need to hear from Satan. The last thing we need to do is hear from Satan. This is a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Amen. Anybody else? How can we help you? This is Father Marin calling you from the Vatican. You must cease this show immediately. No, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. Because the, yeah. your adversary, the devil, he would like nothing more than to trip us up. No, it's the only way to save the world. You have unleashed demons from the very pits of hell. <laughs> <laughs> Demons, they come to take over, and you got to just fight. That's all I say, fight with the word of God. Be diligent, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about totally. 
We see somebody else here, so we're going to see what you have to say. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I'm a demon, and we're taking over the world. No. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's by his spirit. No, not that prayer. It's by his spirit. Stop saying that. Blow you out. It was his spirit. No. By his spirit. By his spirit. It was by his spirit. Spirit, by his spirit. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah. That's right. Isn't that something, huh? Amen, amen. You ain't got to worry about Satan. Now, um, you're no longer a slave to Satan. You don't have to accept whatever he's trying to dish out. We're going to leave it there, and uh, we'll just get started tomorrow. What a battle royale. Uh, Satan versus a religious radio show. And uh, the religious radio show won, which is kind of nice. All you have to do is go by his spirit. Yep. He got rid of <laughs> Satan. So thank you for that. Uh, well, let's if see. it's so easy to defeat Satan, what are we fooling around with him for? Exactly. He seems pretty easy. Nick, you're on the air in Pennsylvania. Hey, now. Hey, now. Hey, Howard. Uh, listen, hi, Robin. Good morning. Hey now. Hey now. Hey now. I'm going to listen to you. This is the first thing. <laughs> all right, all right. What can I do? Oh, I, I, don't I, do it. Don't how many do people it. can Just you say hello to? Spit I mean, it out. Yeah, yeah, let's go. I'm trying. I've been listening to you since the first day he came to Philly, man. Love you guys. Thank you for taking the call. I got a great story about Bruce. So I've been an entertainer for How long is the uh, story? Can you uh, can you <laughs> no, give me an idea? I got, a, I got a lot. I feel with you it's going to take a lot of time. No, 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 real quick. So I went to Bruce concert at the Spectrum in my Elvis suit. Bruce calls me up on stage in the middle of the show, hands me the mic. We do all shook up. Then I go hit it, Bruce. He does a guitar solo. And then it got out of control. I didn't know what to do. So I changed the song with the E Street Band, and they went right with me. We did Blue Suede Shoes. It was, it was crazy. It was pandemonium. You're claiming that Bruce put you on stage and you were wearing an Elvis costume? Are you an Elvis impersonator? I, I did an Elvis show for years, yes. I I'm see. an actor and writer now, but yes. Hmm. Well, okay, and, uh, that's pretty remarkable, actually. Uh, you know, I know Bruce was a listen, one of the reasons Bruce went into rock and roll is because Elvis. I was watching that yeah. Elvis um You saw movie. the Elvis movie? It was yeah. on HBO last night. It just yeah. happened to be clicking around, and I, I saw it. I, man, the guy who played Elvis, though, he I know everyone said he looked like Elvis, but he, he kind of looked like a beaver a little bit. Uh, he, he wasn't, a beaver? Yeah, he looked like a beaver. He was like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And then, I didn't, even I like didn't the, think he looked like Elvis. Elvis was a spectacular-looking human yeah, being. Yeah, I didn't think that guy looked that much like Elvis. He sounded like him. It was pretty yeah. good. And um, he had his moves, you know, like he moved like Elvis. Yeah, I mean, he did a good job, but uh, but the uh, pork chop sideburns, <laughs> they looked like they had glued him on like like five minutes before he went on set. I mean, you can, you know what I mean? It, like they, yeah, the the wigs and the and yeah. the pork chops were bad. Yeah, <laughs> bad pork chops. Oh, <laughs> uh, listen, I want some pork chops, please. And while you're at it, give me a side apple sauce and some <laughs> and some chicken fat. But I thought that was one of the saddest. I felt so yeah. sorry for Elvis by the end of that movie. I I almost couldn't stand myself. Well, Colonel it was Tom, a horrible. Horrible life. Colonel Tom was a legendary prick, took 50% of Elvis's money. 
and uh, just wouldn't let go. And kept him spending, and the dad did nothing but but help Colonel Tom rip off his son. Yeah, it was it was a little depressing for me watching it, and I was just like laying in bed, and then by the end, you get to bloated Elvis, who's playing Vegas, and Colonel Tom won't let him leave the country, and. Blah, 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 yeah, blah, Yeah, he blah. never got to tour the world. The only time he got to Germany was when the army took him out of the yeah. country. What was the deal on Colonel Tom? Was he afraid to have Bruce go to Europe? He was didn't he... have a passport, and he didn't want Elvis out of his control. Ah. And there was a reason he couldn't have. A, he didn't have a passport. Like They never get to exactly why. He could, you know, but there was no such person as Colonel Tom Parker. He created that whole thing and who he really was, you know, they allude to, you know, that he might have had a criminal record and couldn't get a passport. Ah, uh, okay. All right, Nick, there it is. You heard it, ladies and gentlemen. Bruce brought uh, Nick up on stage in Philly and had him do his Elvis. Let me hear a little Elvis. Let me hear what you did for Bruce. Are you lonesome? Tonight, uh, do you miss me tonight? Go ahead. Oh, get off my phone. What's the matter with him? I think what someone. The heck was that? <laughs> it sounded like someone tased him in the middle of it. <laughs> no, Bruce was seven years old. He saw Ed Sullivan, you know, and Elvis was on and wanted he wanted to pick up a guitar. And then Bruce legendarily got so frustrated because he couldn't play like Elvis right away, you know. He wanted it instantaneously. Then he, right. he gave the guitar back. It was a rented guitar. But at some point, he got serious about the guitar later on in his life. And obviously, now we have Bruce Springsteen. I'm glad that he went back and picked it up again. Oh, gosh. There's so many people on the line. About Does what Bruce's mom say to him, all my friends... Their children went to Ivy League schools. <laughs> you want to know something? I guarantee you, Bruce was never tortured the way I am. <laughs> uh, I guarantee it. Anyway, uh, let me tell you what the fans are writing in. Everyone's excited, obviously, that Bruce will be here today. Um, people were excited that I'm doing the show from our studio today. Why is that exciting? You know, we always say if you go like Jimmy Kimmel brings his show to Brooklyn every year. and He said it increases ratings and increases excitement. What is the excitement? I don't know. I mean, for me, it's kind of nice to actually be in the studio. But the hassle getting in here and, you know, I'm still COVID crazy and nervous. So, it, you know, it was a lot. But for Bruce, I'll do it. Uh, I but are, you're not going to be there tomorrow. Hell no. You're going to leave there right away, right? You're damn right I am. What do you think I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> crazy? I commend. I'll be out the door the second Bruce leaves. <laughs> I commend going with Bruce. I'm going with Bruce in his car. <laughs> I commend you for overcoming your nerve to give us what I'm sure will be one of the best Stern Show interviews. Will people stop saying that? <laughs> you're putting too much pressure on me, for Christ's sake. I'm going to have a conversation with Bruce. Everybody was calling me. Yeah, you know, last night I said, hey, you know, I'll call Ross Zapin. He's Bruce. He's the biggest Bruce. He has probably been to 350 live Bruce shows. All over the world. All over the world. He'll he'll go to Italy if Bruce is going to Italy. So I call yeah. Ross. I said, hey, Ross. Yeah, man. You know, because he'd sent me a text. He goes, hey, can't wait for tomorrow. 
right away I felt a lot of pressure. So I called him and I go, hey, man. And I figured, like, maybe he'll tell me a story about one of his favorite Bruce concerts, something. Uh-huh. He starts in on me. He goes, listen, don't worry. Everything will go fine. You're a professional. Bruce is a professional. It's going to be good. I go, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> I know I'm a professional. But he started giving me a pep talk. That made me more uptight. He was like a life coach, Ross Zapin life coach. But anyway, I like called. you need it. He's like the coach. Yeah. He's giving you the speech before you goes, hit the field. What you're going to do is go in there. I'm not kidding. <laughs> you're going to speak to Bruce. You're kidding. No. And like, you know, Bruce is a great guy. He can talk. I've seen him on stage a million times. He can like, you know, and I saw him on Broadway. Oh, boy. He's got a lot of great stories, so Bruce is going to be great. And and you're going to be good because you've done this. You're, you're, you know. I was like, what, are you, what? what is this, the Super Bowl? You're going to ask questions. Bruce will give you an answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got the gist uh, of what an interview is. Uh, thank you, Bruce, for bringing our guy Howard out of the bunker. I'm so glad Bruce talked you into coming back into the studio. Can't wait. Uh, whatever nerves you're going through, the fact that you get to talk to Bruce fucking Springsteen will make it all worth it. I can't believe my two idols will be in the same room together. People were mad at Chris Wilding for yelling out that I should not come into the studio, that I'm going to get ah. COVID. But uh Ridiculous. Uh, yeah, the thing that ma- amazes me, you know, I've watched a, a couple of different documentaries about his effect on his fans. Yeah, like well, all over the world, there are rabid Bruce Springsteen fans yep. and they have a whole lifestyle. It's almost like, you know, about the Grateful Dead and the people who follow fish and all of that stuff. But these people have this personal connection to Bruce that somehow changes their life or or changes the course of their lives and even movies are written about bruce springsteen fans it's amazing yes i uh and finally the fans wrote in about jd they love the game we played with him they love when we put jd to the test who would you save robin quivers or fred norris would you save howard or your mother would you you know it was they like it i love when the pressure is on jd he doesn't want to offend anybody, but he's definitely he definitely has his mind made up, and he does give oh, us yes. the answers. He knows who he's going to save. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all that J.D. picked Ronnie over John Blit. Ronnie doesn't spend every second of his life trying to fuck with him. Woo! By the way, John Blit recorded a similar game with J.D. earlier this year. He asked J.D. to choose between two staffers, who gets to live and who gets to die. Oh, I can uh, I can share that with you if you like. I love that. Who was on this list? All right, here's uh, Howard or uh, John Hine. Choose to live, choose to die. Howard Stern, John Hine. Well, I am closer with John, but Howard employs me. So without Howard, I have no job. So unfortunately, John, I would uh, choose Howard to live and John to die. There you go. Okay, Robin or Gary, what does JD say? What is Gary, I'm sure. What, to kill? 
Or to live? To, to live. To live? All right, let's see. Choose to live, choose to die. Robin Quivers or Gary Delavate? I am closer to Gary than I am Robin. Uh, I will choose Gary to live and Robin to die. Oh, <laughs> Isn't Robin more important to the show, therefore employs him? Wow. All right. But, J.D., what are you thinking? Of course, Robin has to live over Gary. Just keep playing. There's, there's other Robin. Uh, so, well, actually, you know, maybe don't play. I don't know. I, <laughs> it kills me off every no, time. No, I kill someone else, and it's not good. So. All right, let me hear. He, he, the choice was my wife, Beth, or Robin. Oh, my. Let me hear what you said. Choose to live, choose to die. Beth or Robin. I see Robin and communicate with her. Beth has been very nice to me through the years. And so has Robin. Um, God. Uh, I'll just choose Robin to live. And? And Beth would have to pass away. <laughs> wow. My poor wife. Listen, At I, least you know, he was torn. He was torn. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. I, I you know, there's a lot of editing in these. There's a lot of like, you know, uh, there's a lot of me, you know, saying I'd rather kill myself, and John saying, "No, you can't do that. That's not part of this game." <laughs> so, all yeah. right, here's one final one. Uh, JD with a tough choice: choose to live, choose to die. Your mom or Howard? Oh, come on! I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That's it. Choose to live, choose to die. This is the last one. Choose to live, choose to die. Your mom or Howard? I, listen, I love my mother. I would choose. I would choose for her to live. What? Unfortunately, are you any <laughs> of <fucking> Howard? <laughs> Wait a second. Let me ask you something. And I'm being dead serious. Yeah. Go ahead. I am way better to you than your mother ever was. Stop it. No, and closer. That? And cl uh, closer. Stop to you. it. You know, I look out for you. You don't even know how I look out for no, you. No, I know how you look out for me. But this is my mom. <laughs> I'm not going to kill her. Your mom. And, out of here. But your mom, like, moved away from you and stuff. Oh, uh, stop it. It's Come not, on. Get out of here. You, you, you didn't even take a, a, a beat and think. You don't know that. I don't know that. And you make your living. For, if I die and you kill me. You got nothing, man. What is your mother, your mother going to take you back in? No. <laughs> I mean, you have to. <laughs> you know, I don't know what else to do. Huh? JD. I thought, I JD. Feel, what? Your what? mom, it's true. Your mom gave birth to you, but I gave you a life. Yeah, of course. You both did. That's why I didn't no, want to answer the no. question. I gave you the life. <laughs> so I get funny. it. Look, look. <laughs> all so that ridiculous. life so you're stupid. enjoying now, yep. there's no John Hine, there's no Ronnie, there's right. no. I'm going to give you a second chance. Uh, all right. I'm not Ronnie, I, I, I believe no in second chance. Anybody without Howard. <laughs> all right. You don't I'm not have doing a life. This. Robin. I'm not doing this. All right. JD. I'm forget, not doing forget this. Forget what just happened. We're going to edit that out of the show. <laughs> JD, I'll give you a tough one. I know, Your I'm mother not doing or this. me? Who do you live? Who lives? No, I, I answered. You're not one. listening. You're not. I listened. Listening. I I listened. I'm not doing this again. I, I'm done with this. Who do you Who do you let live? Okay, one of us has to go. Your mother or me? Who do you I'm choose? Not, go ahead. Go, just not, think. I am thinking. I am not. Think, think longer. <laughs> There's, no, I can't. I, I, this who do you, who lives and who dies? Me or your mother? Go ahead. Pick one. <laughs> my mother care. would live. I'm oh, sorry. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Good. Why don't you go ask your mother for a job? You have no life. <laughs> you don't understand. My mother in introduced me to rice-a-roni, the San Franciscan <laughs> treat. Let me tell you something, J.D. I mean, if I good. said to little Steven, who do you have live, Bruce 
or your mother. I guarantee a little Stephen would say Bruce lives. Uh, listen, I, you know what? I, I, don't, I hate these questions. I don't want to do this anymore. If Max Weinberg is asked, asked who lives, Mrs. Weinberg or Bruce, in a second he'd say Bruce. He'd go, oh, okay. he goes, my point. mother doesn't take me on tour. <laughs> no, I can't, trust me i get it i did i i these i don't like these questions i'm not that i don't like this even your I mother you if i live. said to your mother who lives me or jd she would pick me of course <laughs> well, i don't know about that important but. guy okay. no if you said to your mother jd has to choose between you and howard your mother would say he should choose howard right <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, listen, that may that may be true. I can't. Uh, well, anyway, JD, and, and, and the with, fans you know all what? say, with, "I love when the pressure is on." Uh, with with her permission, <laughs> if she you know sacrificed herself, then uh, only then could I make that uh, that choice. So, in Otherwise, other words, JD, what you're saying is, if it came down to it, we're in a room, me, your mother, and you, <laughs> and I say to you, one of us has to die, and you say, and, and your mother says, "Listen, JD, it's too much." To, let me kill myself right now. Yes. You don't have to make a choice. You are okay with that? Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah, all right. I just need to know. <laughs> there you go. Bye, Mom. I love you, Mom. Can I have your spoon collection, too? All right. Okay, your mother doesn't have to know, J.D. Right. Uh, your mother or Howard? Well, okay. If it were like a, <laughs> you know, no, I don't. I'm not putting this out there. I can't put this out there. No, I can't do that. I can't do that. All right, let's go. You... Thank you, JD. I'm glad to know how you feel about me. Uh, All right. Okay. I love you. My both. mother or John Hine. I breastfed on both, and I think I prefer John Hine. Let's go to David in New Jersey. Thank you, JD. I know those are tough decisions for anybody. Thank you. Hey now, Howard. Hey now. Good morning. Hey, so I was, uh, it was 95 and I was going to Monmouth University, which is at the shore. And, uh, I kind of snuck into the convention hall because it was like run down in those days. I got kicked out and I went around back where I knew his car was and I waited and I hung out with the bouncers, the guys in security who were blocking the car. And, uh, he got back finally at the end of the show. It was like at that point, like hundreds of people <laughs> and he's like shaking everyone's hand. And he slaps my hand. I go, hey, Bruce, how about a ride back to Long Branch? Because he lived in Rumson. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he shook a couple four hands. And he's getting his car. He goes, you want a ride? I go, yeah. He goes, get in the truck. I was like, what? He goes, get in the back. Let's go. So he opened the door, and his big bodyguard at the time, Terry, was driving. And we drove out like the Beatles leaving Shea Stadium. I had the windows down. They were making me put the window up. You're and, telling uh, me Bruce gave you a ride home? Yeah, Bruce Bruce was sitting shotgun. Terry was driving, and I was in the back like a little kid reaching between the seats. What a good guy. I would never do that. I was well, going to say, he could have given so, me a ride home. <laughs> it was awesome. We got to my apartment, and we pull up up front. A bunch of people followed us, and he's like, hey, do you have uh, do you have tickets for the show tomorrow? And I go, no. He goes, I go, you know somebody? And he laughed, and uh, he ended up writing my name on his bodyguard's arm. Let me ask you something, David. When you're in a car with Bruce Springsteen, for how long? How long a trip was it? Uh, probably like 10, 15 minutes. All right. What do you talk about? Or is Bruce like just kind of quiet? No, he was really sociable. He was like, uh, I asked him what he listened to on the radio, like what he what he was like, what, what based on his album. Because it was a, it was like an acoustic album. Tom Joad was the album, and he was telling me like 
he listens to certain kinds of music and he asked me what I listened to, what, what they play. And I was like, oh. it was like at that time, what was the classic rock in, in New York? One Oh four, three. And uh, he just, we just kind of bullshitted. And he told me where he wrote these songs. Cause it's all the beach. It's the Jersey beach, right? Where we went basically wow. up Ocean Avenue. Sounds like a good 15 minute conversation. Yeah. It was a all, lot of ground. I mean, you know, it was cool. He's like, I wrote Thunder Road in that building right across from your apartment. He was, I mean, he's a chill, super cool guy. Wow. That's awesome. All right. All right. Good story. Thank you. I was kind of zoning when you first started telling this story, and I was going to, like, kind of say to Robin, what did he just say? But then I, then you <laughs> caught my interest. So I missed the first 30 seconds of the story. I was getting a little sleepy. It wasn't important, Howard. If you All didn't right. think it was important, cool. it wasn't important. But it did pick up. Thank you, David. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, if he only said he hung out with the bouncers and the bodyguards right. until Bruce came out, that would have been, yeah, pretty nothing story, but he got the ride. Hi, Howard. I have a uh, Howard Stern story. I was uh, talking with you, and I said, hey, how about a ride? And you said no, and that was the end of it. <laughs> Nobody's getting in my car. Yeah, I always think back to during the, the pandemic, Bruce was, you know, riding across the country on his motorcycle. And remember, there was a story about he saw a bunch of guys parked on the side of the road who were also cruising. Right. And he stopped and, and hung out with them for a while. Howard, I once met you. You were on your motorcycle and you ran over my foot and you gave me the finger. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be me. Yeah, yeah that was probably me. <laughs> Bruce, a nice guy. Um, oh, here's everybody with what songs they want to hear. Bruce, talk about this one, that one. And this this guy says, remember when Ed Sheeran was on your show and he played uh, Bruce's uh, Atlantic City? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Ed, we asked Ed if he'd play a, a cover, and he said, yeah, I'll do uh, some Springsteen. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. Maybe everything that dies someday comes back. Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty, and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Yep. And then we had John Legend in here who did, uh, of course, uh, a very famous cover of Dancing in the Dark. Can't start a fire. You can't start a fire without a spark. This gun's for hire. Even if we're just dancing in the dark. Don't forget, then there's the uh, Patty Smith did uh, a cover, the Pointer Sisters did a cover. I think Bruce likes being covered. You know, like we always talk about Prince never wanted anybody to cover his songs unless he gave them the song. Yeah. But uh, I think Bruce likes it when people cover his songs. Yeah. And and rightly so. Uh, I think I think Bruce has got a good story about David Bowie covering two of his songs. Bowie yeah. was a big Bruce fan early on. Like before Bruce's huge success and. He actually sat with him when he recorded. I, I, got, I got so much to ask him, but mm. oh, there was one other. That's there's, there's a couple other things I should mention. Let's see how much time do. Oh, I, I got to take a break because we got to get set up for Bruce. But I was going to mention. Uh, maybe I'll hit this tomorrow on the show. We'll have a little more time. But Clark Thorell, who won the date with Drew Barrymore, was on the Drew Barrymore show. I got a couple of clips of that. Oh, I gotta play you. Gotta play you tomorrow. K-Rock, our old radio station in New York, is now, they're, they're simulcasting the all-news station, 1010 Wins. Yeah. A legendary, great rock station, gone. 
And it is a funny switchover. You got it. You got the actual switch from playing music to going all news. It's phenomenal. You're going to laugh your ass off. (laughs) I got a lot of thoughts about it. I do want to talk to you about that. Also, at tomorrow, I want to address that Scott Shannon announced he was retiring from radio. I called him. I go, what the fuck is going on? Aren't you like number two in the market or number one at any given time? What were you, what are you doing? I don't know what's going on with that, but. Well, should we talk to him live and in person? Maybe. I don't know, but I, I'll tell you, I got some, some information and things that I okay. want to, you know, we got it. We got a lot We've to talk We've never talked about. to Scott Shannon on the air, have no. we? I've talked to him on the air. I think I called into his show one time. Dude's had an huh. amazing career. I don't remember that. Amazing career. And, uh, yeah, I should probably take a break because... Oh, who the fuck is at the door? Hold on a second. Excuse me, Robin. Okay. Oh, whoa. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. William Shatner. Uh, I knew it. The star of Star Trek. What can I do for you, Mr. Shatner? Don't forget I could do any cover, Howard. My favorite. <laughs> Although I may be Canadian, but I still connect to the lyrics born in the USA. Well, Bruce is coming in. Would you like? He's probably listening. You, he's probably on his way in. Do you, do you, you want to do a, a little bit of it? I can't. I can't sit through a whole song right now. But okay, I'll go as fast as I can. Sure. Born down in a dead man's town. Right. The first kick I took was when I hit the ground. Right. You end up like a. Dog that's been beat too much. Till you spend half Mr. Shatner, your life. I love your rendition. It, uh, maybe tomorrow you could do uh, the rest of it. It's just taking a long time, and I got to. Yeah, we we need time for Bruce. Right, <laughs> at least the part of the course. Born in the USA. Right. Good. I like the pause. I was born (laughs) in the U.S.A. You savor I said, Mr. Shatner, you savor every word. It's fabulous. You have to. These lyrics are important. Was born in the U.S.A. Yeah, oh, you're Born. the master. Of, hmm, you're the master of the pause, Mr. Shatner. I don't mean to cut you off, but I. Oh, and, and Mr. Shatner. I uh, can't believe he knew his place in the song when you interrupted him. He picked right up. You know, Mr. Shatner. <laughs> we had one gentleman who called in and said, uh, "Bruce once uh, gave him a ride home from a concert." Uh, another person called in and said that they had an experience with Bruce. What was that? The uh, same thing happened to me with Jeff Bezos. I saw him on the launch pad, <laughs> and he said, get in this rocket. No, and no, he no, shot no. me Tell up the, to outer space. Mr. Shatner, talk about, I, I read this about you. Didn't Bruce fight a bear outside your cabin and save your life? <laughs> you know, Howard, I don't like to talk about it, but that's very true. Yeah. It's true. I was I was up in uh, you know in Toronto, and we went to one right. of the log cabins, yep. and out right, okay. there was a bear. Oh. All right, I had to close the door. I didn't mean to be rude to Mister Shatner, and I love when he sings, but uh, we got to we got to move on. So, uh, Robin, tomorrow I will address the end of a rock era, ninety two three K Rock, 
and uh, other topics and Drew Barrymore and uh, Clark where they're at with this thing. Scott it's, Shannon, has he already retired? Or no. Is the retire- he's announced a retirement date. And Patty, his co-host, who is Steve Kingston's wife, who we worked for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, anyway, there's a lot to... What I'm trying to say is that there's a lot to discuss. All right. All right. Um, now, let me... Oh, wait a second. Bob is on the phone. He says a quick Bruce Springsteen story. Yes, Bob, what is it? Hey, Howard, this is crazy. So about a year ago, I was on the uh, Long Island Expressway. Our car broke down with my wife. We had our baby. She ran out of breast milk. Next thing I know, this car pulls up. Who pops out? Bruce Springsteen. He goes, bring that little tyke over here. He breastfed my child for 20 minutes. I've never wow. seen anything like it. All right. Thank you for that story. Wow. Bruce, uh, a lot of Bruce stories. Bruce is everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, anyway, uh, let me tell you something more exciting. All right. We're listening to the Rolling Stones. We're chilling, and uh, Bruce Springsteen is sitting a few inches away from me. And I am, uh, you know what? I'm starstruck. <laughs> I really am starstruck. It's really insane. You know, I've met a lot of people, but. You're too much, man. Bruce, why is that funny? I don't know. It's, it's funny to me. Happy Halloween. That's all I got to say. Happy <laughs> Halloween. Do you hate Halloween or love Halloween? I'm a Halloween lover. Really? I we, can't stand it. No, no. We used to do a thing when I lived in Rumps, and we would have... I mean, it, our front yard was insane. We would invite the entire town. Thousands of people would come on Halloween. And uh, uh, we used to just, we had a whole movie set going on. It was pretty mean, crazy. But when like, you were famous and you were Bruce Springsteen, yeah. you would do that at your house? Oh, yeah. And how does that not become a thing that everyone knows about? And, it did. And trouble must start, <laughs> it right? Did. It yeah. does, right? That's what. That's why we don't do it now. Right. You know, <laughs> we, did, we did it for a while. And one night... I think 4,000 people showed up and I walked out front and I looked at the street in front of my house and it was insane. Mamas and daddies were running with their little babies up the road and I'm going, somebody's going to get killed eventually here. And I stopped doing it about 10 years ago. But it we could, still it, it could have ended up being Altamont. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> it sounds insane. The end of the innocence for Rumson, New Jersey. <laughs> Bruce, we have so many questions. So let me just dive in. First of all, this morning we started thinking about you've won um, endless amounts of Grammys, which, by the way, at the end of the day, is that important to you or you don't care that much about winning an award? Uh, if you're up for them, it's nice to win. It that's, my, that's, my <laughs> that's my opinion on it. But uh, but I don't put too much into it either. It, because you've done so much, I would think it, it's almost meaningless, the, the Grammy. Uh, well, you know, it depends. Like, I never won, like, best album. That's right. sort of like, you go, gee, I, I made some pretty good albums, but never. You know, when I was sort of, like, around the time of Born to Run and Darkness on the Edge of Town, I was like, you're too far to the left for the Grammys, you know, so those records aren't getting album of the year at that time. Right. And then, uh, uh, you know, maybe I missed my window for it, but, but that's the only one I, I, I occasionally think about. Yeah, album of the year. I never won album of the year. <laughs> but we were adding up the accolades, not the fact that you sold 150 million albums, but the, the accolades are those albums, then the record company gives you like a big platinum album. <laughs> yeah, they give gotta, you, you've got these Grammys. I got a garage you, of those. So, so is that, that's the point. <laughs> We're trying to figure out what does Bruce Springsteen do 
with these awards? Can, do you have a room in your house where you, where if I walked into your house, would I see? <laughs> well, I used, to, I used to give them all to my mother. Uh, she lived in California, and she just kept them in the garage. That's <laughs> so, <laughs> all meaningless. So she, she, but she loved them, you know. So I had a ton of stuff. Now it's it's in a warehouse. To be honest with you, I don't have a, I don't have a single thing around my house or anything. Were you the type of guy that saved? Um, you know, if you wrote down a song on a, I don't know what your process is. Yeah. When you write a song, you, do you write it down on? Just, you know, we hear guys writing paper, but you saved all of I those did. things. I, and are those in a storage facility? They are. So everything that you along the way saw, if it was a guitar, instead of throwing it out, you put it in a storage facility. If well, it was- everything. We're hoarders, first of all. I mean, I've got we've got clothes from 1980, you know, Patty and I. And, and but uh, all everything I wrote, I wrote in regular spiral notebook since 1975. I have. Wow. You know. What's the plan for that stuff? Would you donate it or is there a, a, a what do you what is, what is the purpose of it? Have you ever asked yourself that? Well, I mean, if you're interested in sort of, you know, a lot of pages of scribbling and then a little piece of Born to Run shows up and some more scribbling and, you know, that's kind of, that's, that's what the books are full of. But, uh, if anybody is that interested in it, there'll be, there'll be an archive center where, uh, in, in, uh, uh, Mammoth College, where people can go and they'll be able to access some of it and look at it. And, uh, uh, so it's more or less interest to other people than it is to me. I, I don't look at them. The, 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 uh, I'm looking at you now. And I know your age, but you look yeah. fabulous. You haven't had any work done, right? You haven't. No, you, no. You, you, sometimes you run into people uh, around our age group, and they, they they look like they're in shock. You know, they're, they're yeah. Right. That's why I don't trust any. You know, it, it's but you can end up looking a little strange. When you make a TV appearance where you see yourself, do you do you look at those things? Are you a vain person? Do you, yeah, you do. Oh yeah, and you say, "Oh my God, I'm aging." Uh, this or that, but you're you're in pretty damn good shape, I would say. <laughs> I, don't, I don't worry about if I'm aging because I'm gonna you're gonna age, but you do go. Hey, I look pretty good there, you know. <laughs> and and, and I, what are you doing? I, I assume you take Metamucil like I do. Uh, <laughs> are you a fan of Metamucil? I did not know. No. Oh man, it's the greatest. Uh, but what are you doing specifically? To, to to maintain this look. <laughs> Let me think. Um, well, you know, I, I worked out for a long time. I started in the, when I was in my thir- you know, early thirties, and so I, I still do that. Not as much as I used to, because when you get older, you just don't have to, right? You know, and uh, uh, outside of that, you know, I don't eat a lot of junk food. I used to, but I stopped doing that thirty years ago. So. Um, in order to do the shows that you do, yeah. because you legendarily go for a long time, yeah. like you'll do a couple of hours on stage. And and I'm always curious about that. Have you ever talked to your therapist about why you do <laughs> such long shows? Of course. You have. <laughs> what what conclusion? I have a con- I think I know why you're doing that. Okay. But I'll it gets pay deep. You instead. Yeah. <laughs> no, but why why do you because I am someone when I do a radio show I can't take a break. I don't even want to take a break for a commercial. I go for hours longer than I'm contracted to. But I know why I'm doing it. And there's a bit of sickness on my part. But I'm wondering if you've gotten that deep with it. 
Oh, hell yeah. It's it's all about the sickness. <laughs> it is, right? Of course. You know, it's sort of, you know, at some point, I mean, part of it is, a, a part of it was just the a work ethic of the way you, you came up. We used to do five sets a night. We used to play five hours a night. Right. You know, now we play, if I play two, people are going to be disappointed. I got to play at least three. Right. <laughs> so, uh, 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 but I, I got into sort of, my problem would be I'd play three hours and then something wouldn't go right on one of the songs towards the end of the show and I'd kill myself for the rest of the night. Wow. I just beat the hell out of myself. You know, I'd, I'd get in the bus on the way to the next town. I was, I, that's all I could think about was, oh man, I should, this should have happened. That should have happened. And so I kind of wanted to get a handle on it because I didn't want to keep doing that as I got older. And of course, uh, I said, you know, people said, gee, how can you play so long? I said, no, my problem is stopping. I don't have a problem starting and playing. Right. I have a problem stopping because I was using it. Um, I mean, I don't know how to, how to get into it, but I, I was, uh, it, it was a purification ritual for me. What do you mean? Uh, well, I grew up in the Catholic church and so you grew up with a lot of sin and original sin and, and life is life and, and ritual is all about rituals of purification, of cleaning out your soul and your mind. And, uh, a certain amount of that is good for you, you know, uh, if you take it to an extreme, it's like anything else. You know, it becomes, it, it becomes your master. So my interest when I, with my work was I wanted my work to be my work and my pleasure. I did not want it to be my master. You know, and so when I talked about work with the guy I was seeing for a long time, and and it was sort of okay. How do I make sure I have this balance in place? Because a, I'll do better shows. If I'm not sort of laboring under the idea that, you know, oh, if I don't play that 35th song, I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, but it was it was really it was about that. I, I, I had to get out from under so much Catholic uh, orthodoxy, uh, which is the way that I was brought up. And of course, I just uh converted that over into my music and into the way that i played and so a lot of what i did a lot of the rich a lot of my self-created rituals were rituals of purification and i took them too far I took it too far sometimes bruce how bad did it get for you after a show was it to the point of depression where you'd say i fucked up badlands and now i'm i'm <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm awful i suck I mean, even at your level, you're at a master yeah, level. It doesn't get higher than where you're, you're at in terms you of know. music and writing. And yet, you'd go home after a show, go back to your hotel, and sit there. And what would you do? Would you drink to forget? Would you? What? Would, how do you unwind after a show when you feel like you're a failure? Yeah. Um, I just used to live with it till the next show, and, I, and then I w I'd walk out on stage twice as determined and twice as crazy. You know? Would you tell the and, rest of the band that you that you considered this a, a disaster and no. that we no? You kept no. that internal. Yeah, there was no no sense in in uh, dragging them there. You know, they 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 had the burden of following me as it was into the breach of two of two and a half and three and a half and four hour shows. So. Because I had Jimmy Iovine on, and he was talking about you in the early days when he was recording you. And he said, Bruce was, he, these, this is not an exact quote, but Bruce was insane. I mean, 
I would t- I I brought him an album and he'd throw it in the pool. It wasn't good <laughs> enough. Or you'd make them go for ten hours and take the same song over and over and yeah. over again. It's almost obsessive compulsive, right? Uh, not almost. It was, yeah. Do you have rituals and things that you do that are obsessive compulsive? Are you that filled uh, with anxiety? I did a pretty good thing where I I directed most of it to my work, you know, and so even when I was young, I did. I had the sense of sort of channeling some of these, some of my negative characteristics, and into something that something positive would come from and so and that was usually my work and so i was you know a, a perfectionist and all of the above and uh a lot of it was a lot of it good things came from it you know the band is one of the tightest on the planet uh our show is still i think one of the best uh when it when you when you when you're into that tenth hour of writing something i'll go to hour 12 i'll go to hour 50 to get to get it right, to get the lyrics right, to get the music right. Uh, I'll do the same thing with the show. You know, I come off stage at night, I go back to the hotel, I got the notebook out, and I'm making notes about, you know, what, what I can do better tomorrow night. That, that's, that's my nature. I don't regret any of that. That's just, that's just good hard work, you know, and that's what people pay you for. So I don't have a problem with that. It was just sort of, uh, uh, where you'd beat yourself up a little bit too much after, if something went wrong, you know. You know, I, I went to see your Broadway show a couple of times, and it was it was phenomenal. I loved it. Thank you. And and what I the piece that I can't figure out, I get that you had the, you know you describe in the show you had the guitar when you were a kid, you you rented a guitar, you saw Elvis, and then you kind of threw sure. it away because you know you couldn't be as good as Elvis right away. What was the point where you went back and got serious about music because? It seems, even in your book, you never mention, like, when you got your 10,000 hours of practicing on the guitar and the piano. It's almost as if it just sort of happened. Well, I started for serious in 1964 with the British invasion. That sort of inspi- re-inspired me to... How to old were you? Swing. I was 14. Okay. And uh, the minute I, I bought a... You know, I painted woman's house and over the summertime and tarred the roof and made just enough money to buy the cheapest guitar they had downtown in a store called western auto which used to saw so sell auto parts and a few musical instruments so i bought the junkiest guitar they had and i came home i just killed myself until i could play a few chords on it you know and who taught you no one i mean you go to your cousin frankie showed me uh uh my first few chords how to tune the guitar and my first few chords my cousin frankie bruno and you don't get caught up in like oh this is an insurmountable task i mean to master an instrument and to become a composer the way you are you're not thinking that you're just thinking hey maybe i could learn a few chords yeah but then it must dawn on you at some point let me play everything the beatles are playing let me practice that over and over again because you don't have songs of your own no the key to becoming a great composer and songwriter would be first learn how the masters did it before you. Is that correct? Well, that's what we did, you know, and uh, basically we simply, you bought a 45, you turned the speed down to 33. Ah. So you could hear the guitars note for note 
slow note over slow note. Oh. And that was how you learned a lot of the guitar parts and some of the chordal changes of the song. Then you just put it back up to 45 and you play along with the record. I did this to thousands of records, thousands of records. Over. So young Bruce Springsteen, you know, I see you now as a guy, gee, maybe he was a great athlete or whatever. No, you spent your childhood, and it's kind of a lonely childhood in a way. To, you know, yeah. Bobby Fischer was a great chess player, but he had an incredibly isolated childhood. Right. Because he, he had to study. And you had the focus. It wasn't, it, 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 it's a singular focus to master the guitar and the piano, I take it. Yeah, the piano, my aunt had a piano in her, uh, when you walked in her house, there was a little foyer, and she had a, old aeolian piano there that when i used to go visit my grandmother after church on sundays my my italian grandmother uh lived upstairs and my mother would take me over to visit her but there was a piano in the foyer and i would go down while my mother was visiting and i would start to pick chords out on the piano and my aunt heard me doing it and she says come here and she she took me aside and she gave me a key to her house and she says anytime you want to come play the piano use this key no matter who's here if nobody's here and so after school i would take the key and i would go and i would go to my aunt's house and i would sit in her foyer and i would just transfer what i was learning on the guitar onto the piano also and so i taught myself the piano were you as would you consider yourself a savant because that's <laughs> no. a, really because it no. seems to me that you have to have a certain genius to teach yourself i mean you were sitting i, I wish everyone could have heard it you were doing a sound check on that piano yeah and you were tinkering and I just love that. I got the fucking chills. There's something in those chords. And I think, gee, the guy never took a lesson? No. It's weird. Um, well, I'm Southern Italian. Southern yeah. Italians are musical. It's Naples. And uh, uh, I'm from a little town, Vico Acacia, in, in Southern Italy. I'm only third generation American on my Italian side. Right. So... My grandfather came over from from Italy, and my grandmother also, and my mother was uh, a first generation born here Italian. So I guess that would make me second, maybe. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of innate musical ability for one reason or another in Southern Italians, and uh, uh, so I I just I had I had the ability in me which i didn't know until i started to play and i you know i progressed relatively quickly i think before the first year was out i was in a band and and playing it's unbelievable lead, playing lead guitar in a little band in town and uh uh so i just and i just you know i was obsessed with it you know I, I'm, I'm sure like anything else you know any any free time i had i spent with the guitar and and learning records and putting you know putting a little band together so it was it was my life it was everything and 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 still you know still consists of an, an enormous part of my day did your father take any joy in the fact that you were a bit of a musical genius <laughs> i don't think so not right away anyway no. you know he, he, no, they, they, they i mean what are the odds of 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 uh uh, of being successful, they're very, very slim. It's like I, I stood on the rock and, at the stage of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame one night, and I had Mick Jagger to my right, I had George Harrison to my left, and I'm going, okay. <laughs> millions of kids in 1964 picked up the guitar, millions of them. Right. 
a few of them learned to play a little bit. A few of those got in a little local band. A few of those might have gotten into a recording studio and made a demo or... And maybe they even had a, got something released, had a one record released. A few of those maybe made an album. A few of those had an album that was successful. A few of those had a career that lasted more than four or five years. So you start whittling it down, and I realize, well, you know, for better or for worse, I was the one that... Uh, uh, ended up on that stage that night, you know, and, and it was sh as shocking to me as anybody else. I mean, I, I can look back and I know I, I put all the time and the work in, but, but still there's an enormous amount of natural ability and luck and, uh, uh, you know, I never take it for granted. Were you self-conscious when you're a young man and you start writing your own music? Self-conscious in the sense that you go, hey, wait a second, is this stupid what I'm writing? Or, or is there something that people will respond to? Because you're really putting yourself on the line. You could be, you know, people could just ridicule it. You could end up either being the 1910 Fruit Gum Company or Bruce Springsteen, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, I've had that happen. You know, it's like I wrote songs. That's awful. <laughs> That's, you know. And... Uh, how do you know it's awful? When, when, like, when you write Rosalita, do you know that's a great song? Like, do you know this is a great fucking song? Well, I knew. I knew that was a great riff. And I knew it was, you know, was, the band was going to swing on that. And so I knew I had a really good riff. And then... Uh, uh, Where were you when you wrote that riff? I believe I wrote that riff in a. I was living in a surfboard factory in. <laughs> in uh, <laughs> sounds a little crazy. I was living in a surfboard factory in um, uh, Ocean Township, and uh, uh, I came up with a lot of those long changing kinds of very uh, elaborate arrangements that really kind of put us on the board. Rosalita, uh, I had a song called Thundercrack that had a, a, just a, a kitty's back. All, all songs that had a lot of very complicated chord changes, and but were very exciting when you played it live. So uh, I remember coming up with that stuff kind of when I was... You saved my life a lot of times because I was working at a little radio station, WRNW in Westchester. I used to put on Rosalita if I needed a break to go get the news. Because I said, man, here's a long song. So, and we could play whatever we wanted. So I'd play Rosalita once or twice a show. You know. what, what the hell? It was great. You know what I love about Rosalita? It's a song that's... This is so up my alley. It's like, hey, it's about... From what I read anyway and what I read into it, it's about this girl you dated. Oh. Her mother was really horrible to you. Yeah. Said, hey, long hair freak, you're <laughs> not good enough for my daughter. You'll never make a living. You'll never. And it's like, basically, fuck you. <laughs> it was. Yeah. But, 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 how, what is that process? In other words, okay, you have this idea first, I guess. I don't even know. Do you have the riff first? Nah, what, what I, what I did was, uh, uh, I had this thing go down and I was 15 and, uh, I was in love with this girl in high school, you know, and, but, uh, yeah, I, my mother couldn't stand me. It, it's, 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 it's a cliche story, but, right. uh, and was going to get a restraining order against me from seeing her daughter. <laughs> That's how bad it was. And so, um, 
a restraining know, order. A restra- she thought you were dangerous. That's right. I was. Da- I mean, and I was the most mild mannered kid in, in in all of Frio Regional High School. But uh, so I, one, you know, I just one night I sat down and it was like, all right, spread out now, Rosie. Doctor, come cut loose her mama's reins. Doctor, come cut loose her mama's reins. <laughs> you know, playing blind man's bluff is a little baby's game. You pick up little dynamite, I'm gonna pick up little gun. Together we're gonna go out tonight and make that highway run. You don't have to call me Lieutenant Rose. I just turned the whole thing into sort of this sort of joyful... (laughs) joyful Bruce, the poetry there, you must have been a very literate kid. I mean, you must have read a lot of poetry or... I I mean, those kind of lyrics aren't the, you know... Again, yummy, yummy, yummy. I got love in my tummy. I mean, those are <laughs> that's poetry. That's uh, Bob Dylan category <laughs> stuff. But how do you? Uh, were you the, a well-read student? No, no. Um, I, most of my, you know, I was I was a creation of top forty radio, totally. Cousin Brucey, uh, total creation of top forty radio, because by the time FM radio came along, I was already. I was already playing and pretty accomplished by the time I was 17 or 18. That was 67 or 68. So I'm really, I'm just this, you know, if it was on Top 40 radio, I listened to it and I absorbed it. And I never heard of Bob Dylan until I heard Like a Rolling Stone. I wasn't like a fan of this folk music and I was not into folk music at all. I was strictly into Top 40 radio. And once something got on Top 40, it entered my conscience down in Freehold, New Jersey. And... I just absorbed it, and there were a lot of different things I liked. I liked Dylan's... uh, What'd you do with the Kennedy Center Honors? I think that is one of the oh. best covers I've ever heard of Bob Dylan. I find Bob Dylan somewhat tedious. When you did it, it was powerful. I think the Obamas were there. Was was it Bill Clinton was president, or was it Obama? But you showed up at the Kennedy Center Honors. Yeah, yeah. I did the Times They Are a Change. Oh, man, you was know? that awesome. Yeah, that was... Uh, uh, that was the song that, that that Bob requested, so that's why I did it. He called you and said, "Would you come honor me with this?" <laughs> yeah, he did at the yeah. time. You know, <laughs> not so, too much uh, pressure. Uh, so, of course, you know, I want to do a great job for him because I owe him so much. And uh, uh, why do you owe him so much? Uh, he, he, he was. If you want to talk about, talk, if you want to talk about lyrics, that he was the foundation where a lot of sort of, if you want to call it the poetic side of my lyrics, came from. You know. Um, Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you've grown Accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are changing you know, I just I grew up. I, I, I lived on that, you know, and and I took the idea of the way he was 
uh, sort of some of the abstraction that he was taking in his lyrics, and I just brought it over into pop music and rock and roll music, and and adopted it as part of my writing style on my earliest records. My first record and my like "Blinded by the Light" was, of course, me totally tripping on Bob Dylan. You know? Yeah. Well, talk about "Blinded by the Light." <laughs> okay. Uh, when you wrote that, you know. It must have been sort of a, a, a weird experience. Weren't you under a lot of pressure to come up with that <laughs> hit yeah, song? I was. Yeah. What happened is I, I made a record. I handed it in. And Clive Davis says, man, there's nothing on, that they can play on the radio on this record. And I said, okay, well, I want to be on the radio. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> yeah. Know? And I went home. And I, I think I went to the beach. And uh, I was living on uh, in Lock Arbor just the town right next to Asbury Park and I was surfing at this Lock Arbor Beach and so I, I went down one afternoon and I brought my notebook with me and, and I sat there and I wrote Spirit in the Night and then I wrote Blinded by the Light and Blinded by the Light I wrote with a rhyming dictionary I mean it wasn't, there wasn't any brilliant strike of, of it was like I just had a rhyming dictionary and I was just using all the words that did you, rhyme. Did you have the music first? Uh, Blinded by the Light and most of the stuff on my first record I wrote a lot of the lyrics first. Lyrics first. I'm, I self-styled myself as a poet, and I would sit and I would write the lyrics, and then find music that went with it. And this one was like, Madman, drummers, bombers, and engines in the summer with a teenage diplomat in the dumps with mumps as he adolescent pumps his way into his hat with a boulder on my shoulder. Kind of older I Tripped the merry-go-round With his very unpleasing sneeze And unweasing The Clive B crashed to the ground Some old hot half shot his head For the hot spot Snapping his fingers Clapping his hands Some flesh pot mascot Was tied into a lover's knot With a whatnot in her hand Slingshot finally found a tender spot Throws his lover in the sand Some bloodshot forget-me-not Whispered daddies with an earshot Save the buckshot, turn of the plan And she was blinded by the light Cut loose like a deuce Another runner in the night Blinded by the light She got down but she never got tight She'll make it all right So that was me just Just having fun You know, just going off like But it, all, it was all stuff out of my life You know, it was like Madman Drummers Was Mad Dog uh, Lopez uh, Indians in the Summer That was my Little League Baseball team uh, So it's nonsense in a <laughs> it's way It's nonsense, total nonsense I feel like an <laughs> idiot, like I should be able to do that I have a lot of nonsense But, but uh, so were you this guy What I'm so curious about that song in particular. When that becomes a hit for another band, yeah, you know, Manfred Man's Earth right. Band, which you know I played on the radio a million times. Are you, uh, are you excited or are you like, wait a second? I record that song and it doesn't go to number one. But when Man for Man does it, am I doing something wrong with the arrangement? Or you know, what, what is your feeling when Man for Man has a hit? With this that is song? kind of my story here because Blinded by the Light, Man for Man had a hit. Fire, Pointer Sisters had a hit. Because the Night, Patti Smith had a hit. So a lot of people had hits with my music that I 
did not, could not, and would not have had hits with, unfortunately, you know. But how do you feel about that? Is Are you honored or are you like, wait a second, when I do that song, it should be bigger. <laughs> you, but, you know, I mean, at this point, maybe you don't care, but at the time, if you go back. No, we, I, was, we, I always loved it. I was, it's like, uh, you know, any, anytime somebody covers your song, it's, it's, it's flattering and, and I, I always get a kick out of it, no matter who does it. What was the story when Bowie... He covered a, a two of your songs. Yeah. And you were kind of a young guy. You weren't uh, super well-known at that point. Uh, you went and watched Bowie record your songs. Yeah, he cut Saint in the City and uh, Growing Up, I think. I think he cut those. He did two. Growing Up. Yeah. He was at uh, the very famous studio in Philadelphia. What was it called? Uh, Sign Sound? I, but he was he was cutting the Young Americans album. And I had one record out. And uh, he got through to me through Columbia and said he wanted me to come to the studio. So I'm like, oh my God, you know. Bowie. Uh, Were yeah. you a big Bowie fan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, so to get to Philly, I took the Greyhound bus from Asbury Park. <laughs> <laughs> big rock star. Myself. Right. To Philadelphia, I managed to find the studio, and I went in, and I remembered distinctly because Luther Vandross, who later on became a big star, was just singing background with David Bowie at the time. And uh, did he look like Bowie, or was, was he all dolled up at that point? No, yeah, probably, he looked like he, Bowie. He yeah. looked like Bowie. Yeah, <laughs> I think maybe he was, you know. And it was a great guy. It was just it was a real sweet guy, and and supported my music when I was, you know, what I was completely, I was complete nobody. Right. You know, I hadn't sold any records or anything. Thing. And, and he was very supportive of my uh, uh, early work, and, and so it was, it was uh, uh, a nice thing. Nice How did thing. you, you know, like when Bono inducted you into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I thought he gave a great speech. And he said, <laughs> Bruce has managed not to do any rock star dumb stuff. Like, he hasn't had a bad haircut. You can't go back <laughs> and watch his video and see him in a leotard. You know, you managed to, like, avoid uh, putting out a, a, um, a show of your paintings. You know, it, it was <laughs> I'm like working really, on that. Are you, are you painting? <laughs> no, you know, no. You know. But, but uh, do you laugh at rock stars who do some of that stuff? Or do you sometimes go, don't you get enough attention? Uh, it's good if you got something else you like to do. Right. You know, I, have a, I have a few hobbies. but uh, What are your hobbies? <laughs> uh, well, my sister is a terrific photographer, Pam, Pam Springsteen. And so she's got me into taking some pictures. Mm -hmm. And so I'll do some photography and things just for fun. And, uh, uh, Would you ever have a show? Would I don't you? think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, have your sisters, get, I'd have to get pretty good. Were your sisters envious of you? What is that relationship like? Because, I mean, you, you're such a, you know, you're a megastar. You're known everywhere. Is it difficult for them to be your sibling? Uh, they're pretty proud. You know, my sisters were really supportive. And, uh, uh, I mean, you know, they'll take the piss out of you. And, and, and you know, they make fun of you. Uh you okay with that? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. When when I got when I when I got all that publishing money, my uh, my sister Virginia. Oh look what look what Adele Springsteen's the boy did now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and she'll so she'll get on my case and have fun with. It. They, they tease me, but but they're they're great, great people, great gals. I have two fabulous sisters. Everyone I meet always thinks they know how Bruce Springsteen should be or how he should think, and and I do this too. Like when you sold your catalog. Or yeah. Hundreds of millions of dollars recently it was announced. Yeah, I said to myself, I can't believe Bruce is doing that. He would never sell his catalog. These songs are his children. He won't do it because right. he doesn't want you know. Neil Young sold his too, and I was right. interviewing him, and he said to me, 
I heard they used old man in a commercial during the, one of these football games. And he he was weirded out by it. Once you sell it, you can't get too weirded out by it if something strange happens. Right. You know, and uh, I just got to a point in my life where like I'm 70, 73 years old and and I was going to Columbia who I knew was going to take really good care of it. And 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 be, uh, uh, and so it, it was just a timing thing. And it felt like, OK, that makes sense. Makes sense to do it now because there's a sense of cashing in too, like saying, hey, you know, you know what i've worked my entire life yeah and like let me realize in some monetary way what these songs are worth absolutely right absolutely yeah i get that i you get know. that yeah it's weird and it's weird to think that those songs brought you all that money because you did it out of pure joy man it just you know it was it was it's like i said i i, I bumped into the luckiest job in the world because they paid you a fortune for something i would have done for free you know <laughs> Do you have any thoughts of retiring ever, or is that just something nah. that'll never happen? Never happen. I can't imagine it. You know, I mean, if I got to a point where I was incapacitated or something, but but up until then, I think I'm. Uh, I mean, look at Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, uh, Pete Seeger. I I played with Pete Seeger in Washington at Obama's inauguration. Pete was ninety one or ninety two, and he came out and uh, uh, sang, uh, "This land is your land," and and uh, so. I look at those guys like, yeah, there's, there's, you know, I don't know if I'll be doing three hour shows, you know, but, but right. it's all, I have so many different kinds of music that I can play and do. Uh, the Broadway show, I can do the rest of my life in, in one form or another if I wanted to. Uh, you know, there's always, you can always, uh, so, so I, I, I can't imagine retirement, no. After I saw your Broadway show, I said, oh, every rock star now is going to have a Broadway show and talk about their life and do their songs. They're going to all imitate Bruce. And it hasn't happened yet. It was hard to do. That was probably why. <laughs> it is hard to do. And plus, <laughs> yeah. if you're a, an arena act, yeah, uh, you know, all of a sudden going to a little theater, I mean, not that everything's about money, but all of a sudden you're playing to a smaller crowd and you got to go every night. Yeah. And it's it's rough, but what a show. I mean, it was so intimate. Yeah, yeah that, but it just happened by accident, you know. Um I got invited to play at the White House, and uh, uh, I didn't want to bring the band, obviously. Or I said, well, I'll just come down and play some acoustic music, you know. So I said, well, what, what can I do that's different? Well, I'll read from my book a little bit, and I'll play some songs that are related to it. Um, and so I spent an afternoon or two in my studio and came up with a little show and went down and performed it. I played about, it ended up being about 90 minutes of what the Broadway show became. And, uh, uh, so I was, after I played the show, you know, Patty said, wow, yeah, you know, that's, and Barack Obama got, came up and said, hey, you know, I know he just did this for us, but you should turn this into a show. So I said, and then on the way back, Patty said, yeah, that, that's it. And John, they were, they were like, that was something special. So, uh, uh, shortly thereafter, I just I added about a half hour to it, and it became the show that I did on Broadway. So it sort of it developed very naturally, and it happened by accident almost. It did, did it become tedious in the sense that once you do it a couple of times, because no. no, you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that every single night that I played. I played, I don't know, 200 plus nights. We did 14 months, and I enjoyed it every single night that I did it and found something new in it. When you, uh, I, I've said this on the air a bunch of times, but I love when you come out with your wife and you sing together. 
And uh, yeah. that song, oh my God. I mean, you kill me with it every time when you, you know, it, it's, um, it's so great. And whether you're, you're going to go over the piano? Yeah, I'm over the piano. All right, good. Okay. Yeah. By the way, when you were doing your little sound check here, yeah, when you were tinkering around, tinkering around on the keys, do you always do the same thing? Do you always? No. No. Actually, maybe I do the opening of Thunder Road or something. Yeah, it sounded good. It got me. It gives me the chills when yeah. you. Yeah. Just... You know, um, but uh, the song you're talking about, tougher than the rest, which tougher I than really the rest. can't do appropriately without Patty, and to get Patty here. You may have to do some sweet talking because she's Sicilian with a long memory. <laughs> yeah, but. I know. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for being here because uh, I got a lot to apologize for. No, in my no, life. no, 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 no. You, you're very gracious and very forgiving, and uh, and I adore you, and I adore Patty, and I love your yeah. your whole sound. So well, I, I'm glad to be here, and uh, and and she sends her love. So. And, and and thank you for being here. I'm I'm, I'm greatly moved by it. I can't tell you. Um, but you're talking about tougher than that the rest. Song. This was a song that uh, it's probably my best love song, maybe, and um, because it's so understated, it's so understated. But how do you how do you come up with this song? I, I'm trying to understand the process so I can imitate it and make a lot of money. All right, do, do you, <laughs> you. It seems to me not that there's a formula, but you say to yourself first, "Let me write a." I have words about my wife. I have this, right? right? It, it, there's a love here that I can write about. Right. Do you sit in a room by yourself and, and have a journal, a special journal that you write in, a special pen? What I mean, how does this work? Well, first thing you want is a good metaphor so or a good title. That, if you hook onto that, that takes you a really long ways down the road. So tougher than the rest is a good title. So I'm starting out with, uh, uh, you know, I'm starting out with something that, that I can dig into. So I'm, then I'm thinking, well, what am I? All right, what's this guy trying to say, you know? Uh, and I said, well, he's in a bar. You know, there's somebody here he's interested in. Uh, you're thinking, hey, I'm not anything that special, but I last. <laughs> you know, when when the chips are down, I'm there. You know, I'm not everything, but I'm that. And so... In other words, the secret to love is maybe I'm not the most beautiful or the most popular or the highest earner, but I'll be there for you in yeah, time of need. I'll be there. That's so, the first thought you had. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm writing about. That's That's this guy's only selling point. He doesn't have this, he doesn't have that, he doesn't have this, but when the chips are down, I'm going to be there. And so that's who I'm writing about. So I got... It's Saturday night You're all dressed up in blue I've been watching you a while Maybe you've been watching me too so somebody ran out Left somebody's heart in a mess Well, if you're looking for love Honey, I'm tougher than the rest Some girls, they want a handsome dance Or some good-looking joke 
you get what you can get So if you're rough enough for love Honey, I'm tougher than the rest Well, the road is dark It's a thin, thin line But I want you to know I'll walk it for you anytime Maybe your other men thing of I don't have this I don't have that but I last and so when a guy gets down to that last verse where it goes uh, well it ain't no secret I'm used goods I've been around a time or two I don't know baby maybe you've been around do is say yes and if you're rough and ready for love honey I'm tougher than the rest if you're rough enough for love baby I'm tougher than the rest so it's all just this guy it's close. It's 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 last call. He's using the only sales pitch that he's got, and uh, uh, he's selling himself. He's selling himself. So Bruce, that whole so, song is a sales job. <laughs> Bruce, there are certain moments in that song that uh, it, chills upon chills. Do you, are you aware? Is there are there tricks in songwriting? I don't want to call them tricks, but. There's certain moments. Do you feel it too? Do you feel that sense of like, oh, oh, sure, yeah. You get that, yeah. That's how I know if I got something. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm playing and I'm singing, but I'm listening too. So, and if I, if I can do it for me, uh, if I'm creating that sensation for me, I know I'm creating it for you, and that's how I judge what I'm doing. You know, uh, oh, it's magnificent, and and and. Bruce, yeah. how do you um, how do you figure you know so much about love? And then maybe I'm getting too deep here, but <laughs> when you when you're raised the way you were, and your father was a difficult man, I love what you say about your dad. He was, how did you put it? He was my my greatest hero oh, and yeah. my greatest foe. And boy, yeah. do I relate to that. I worshipped my father. But he gave me, he was also a guy who just put me down and made me feel like I was nothing. Yeah. And, and, and so how do you, how can you love a woman like Patty? How do you have any uh, gas in the tank to love someone when you've been so denied that loving father and someone who makes you feel good? Where do you get, where do you get the ability to love a woman? Oh, that's, uh, that, that, that was really hard. That was really hard for me to, 
figure out, you know. And uh, I, um, that's what I, when I went, when I first walked into the analyst's office, I was 32. And that's what I went to find out. I said, okay, what do I know? By the time I was 32, like, I had some success and, and, uh, but also, I I felt my own inner body clock ticking, and I said, "Well, where were you at in your career at thirty two? Were uh, you already what album were you?" I just come off of the river and oh, a okay. record called Nebraska. Uh, I just came off of those two records, and uh, how do you find a therapist? You said the guy I went to because who the <laughs> fuck can you trust? Because that's, you're Bruce Springsteen. That's what Mister Landau is good for. Ah. Uh, uh, it's just another place where he comes in handy. And so... You uh, trust Mr. Landau the most? Yes, I do. <laughs> Is he your best friend? Uh, he's certainly one of them. My, one of my very best friends, absolutely. How did you know to take a Rolling Stone reporter and make him your manager? Because how do you, how do you trust that he knows business? Because the man has been incredible in your life. But how did you recognize him? Well, I didn't... Yeah, I didn't initially care if he knew that much about business i figured well you can learn that you know right but trust you can't learn <laughs> right you either got it or you don't you know it's either somebody that you have total trust in and he has trust in you or you don't have that that you cannot buy and you can't learn so let's start there <laughs> right let me start with a guy that that i know uh, loves me and i love him and uh, we have this deep sense of trust and respect for one another. Is he the father you never had? Uh, well, he's not that quite that old. But I, th I think when we first got together, he he certainly was a mentor, played more of a mentor's role. Now we're partners, you know. But right. uh, uh, but when we started, uh, yeah, he, he played a very important me mentorship role in my in my life and in my work. Did you know enough as a kid, because you couldn't get that kind of love from your father, did you know to go out and find mentors, or were you someone who was completely clueless and didn't know? No. I always had father figures. <laughs> you did? Yeah, always. Right from when my parents left. Teachers, things like that? Who, uh, who were your so mentors? teachers. I kind of found just sort of outlaws, you know, because I was living off the grid in a, once my parents left. When in I was California? Late, yeah, they left 1969. I stayed in New Jersey and was living with the band and, and so you're, you're, you're not meeting any conventional people. You know, you're, everybody you're meeting is unconventional in one way or another. So, you know, once it was just a couple of college guys that just sort of, they had $3,000 they'd invest in our equipment and they became my managers for a couple of years. And then there was a fellow that, uh, a guy named Carl Tinker West who ran the surfboard factory in, uh, Wanamassa, New Jersey. And he kind of took me under his wing. He was about 10 years older than me, he was a surf dog from, uh, the West Coast who came came east and i lived in that factory in the same room with him for a couple of years and uh but we traveled all over the united states together me and and and, and a guy called tinker and and these and, were kind people who said bruce i love you yeah basically. They, they they noticed my talent said you're worth something i'll invest something in you you know that was it that that was as simple as that i'd run up to somebody run into somebody hey you're good at something. You're worth something. Let me invest some time in you. And so these were people who did. You know, they invested their time, a lot of their livelihood. I had a guy, 
uh, Tex Vineyard in Freehold when I was 15 or 16. Just people who opened their doors. They let you come in with your band, set up. They'd move their dining room furniture. They'd set up the band equipment in there, and they let you bang it away from 3 to 6 in the afternoon. It's unbelievably generous that there are people who Incredibly do that. generous. These are all they're called the unsung heroes of rock and roll. These are the people who are supporting every garage band. You know, everybody, every young musician in the nation has or should have someone like this in their lives because these are the people that form the support network that gets you to the point before you ever see a record company or see or make a record that have have helped you survive till then because that's all I was trying to do was from when my parents left to uh was just hey you know keep my head above water and be around people who valued me. I mean, at the end of the day, that, that's, that's what we're all trying to accomplish. Do you do that for, I mean, you probably don't publicize it, but do you do that for a lot of uh, struggling artists? Do you spot people and say, you know what, let me let me help you out here. Let me uh, A little bit, not a little that much. No. <laughs> if I see somebody, you know. Screw them. <laughs> no, but, but Bruce. Yeah, make their own way, man. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I did. <laughs> Lift yourself up out of bootstrap. Uh, but Bruce, when um, getting back to this idea of loving Patty and loving your kids and having to, a family in other words that was not something that could come naturally to you because no. you 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 probably had some anger issues <laughs> yeah. Be- yeah because you because let's face it when you don't have a father who loves you puts his arm around you calls you son it's pretty devastating and and you kind of take the attitude well, who's this woman well, 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 i don't know you know well, why does she deserve my love and i don't even know what love is yeah well i think most artists and most of the artists I know have a very similar dynamic growing up. They had a parent who told them they were the second coming of Jesus. Yes. And then they had a parent who told them they were a worthless piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> you know, and those two things, you know, A, we're all mama's boys. B, we all had that ba- that imbalance going on in our lives that were that sent us careening from one pole to another and so you go out in the world and you try to validate both opinions unfortunately you know and uh so i realized that i was i'd locked myself into sort of a space where i was not i didn't have the the, the emotional flexibility to really get to get into a real relationship with somebody or really fall in love with somebody. I just I simply was too frightened and I would I'd bolt and and I said, well, how do how do I how do I stay? You know, how do, how do I get to the place? What how do I get to what this guy is saying and tougher than the rest? You know, how do I simply get to that place where I can say I'll be here? You know, I can't promise you I'll be perfect. I can't promise you I'll be able to do this, but I can promise you that I will be here. And uh, right, you're singing about an ideal, but you weren't that guy. I mean, you couldn't get there yet. Now you got to imagine. It's like anything else. You have to. You have to take your mind there and hope that your ass will follow. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> you know, you've got to imagine that person first before you become them. Uh, uh, and and once you once you have the ability to do that, then you need to learn the skills to become that person. Now, that's where most people run out of luck, you know, uh, or if they're lucky, they may meet someone who sort of takes them along and and but but to learn sort of the skills of loving 
which, which are real, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't understand. Oh, I got to work on this like I worked on the guitar. Right. You know? How much therapy did you go through to get to a point where you could see the other side and say, you know what? I can be committed to someone. I don't have to run away. Yeah. Uh, it, it, well, the first bit was I could be committed. And so that's why I went. In the, that's, why in the, that's what started me going. And then, uh, uh, it took me, well, I got, I got married once at 34 and I was married for about three years and I got, was divorced and that was really, that was pretty devastating. It was a big failure at the time. I had married to a lovely, uh, a lovely woman and, uh, uh, do you then, think if you had had the benefits of therapy at that point, you could have stayed in that relationship? I, I I don't think so. Right. You know, I think that when I got involved with uh, therapy, it, it one of the things it taught me was I, I wasn't in the correct relationship. Right. You know? And uh, uh, so that that was sort of, but it was a very important part of my life. And 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 then eventually, Patty and I got together, and Patty was very different than anyone that I'd gone went out with before. She was uh, she was tough. She she. You know, sung on the streets in New York with her girlfriends. She had a work life of her own. She'd sung on some Stones records. She uh, sung with Southside Johnny. She was in Asbury. You know, I I saw her singing at the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, and that was the night that we met. Uh, How long did it take for Patty to trust you that you really could be the man in the song and that you would stay there with her? I think it's. The, I think the clock is still ticking. Oh, really? She still doesn't trust you. I get it. <laughs> uh, the question should be: How long since she's been able to trust you enough, <laughs> <laughs> enough to keep you in the house? You know. Oh, so I, I think that uh, uh, we both went. We were both outsiders. Patty and I, and she. I always say, "Gee, Patty, before we were married, you were kind of me, <laughs> and, and you were living like I was living." And so we were both these sort of outsiders, and we came together, and we just sort of made that promise, like, "Okay, this is the one that we make work. This is the one that we do the things that it takes to make work." And we both, you know, just operated on. On you know we we took that vow and we were married long before I say we actually got married we've been together for about thirty three or four years and it's amazing because yeah. it's an inspiration because and I say it's an inspiration because I remember when I read your book and you describe going to a bar in New Jersey multiple times to get your father out of the bar he was an alcoholic and I got to tell you something when you got to do something like that it is very hard to recover to be an adult. But you're a kid and drag your father out of his childish behavior. It's very hard to give a loving relationship to anybody. Yeah, it was it was it was tough, you know, was, because my the you know, obviously you know, my role model, my father was not giving. And so my all the signals I got about what it meant to be a man was, no, you don't give you, you know, you, you, uh, my father was very passive aggressive and very passive in the house. And he, he just simply did not and could not give of himself. And so I realized those were the lessons I learned. That's when you what, would sit at the piano, your when your father would walk in the room and you were composing, you know, you were basically sitting at a piano. He never walked over and went, whoa. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no. It, it was nonsense. No, of course. I mean, by the time when, my, when I was home, I lived upstairs. My dad sat in the kitchen, and my room was right up, was right over top of his. And there was a the little, the old kind of grates that you would open, and all it was was just a grate into the next room, you know. So he'd hear me scrapping away on my guitar, and uh, I mean, you know, you're a parrot. You're not going to tell you, oh yeah, go be a musician. Yeah, <laughs> I got a great idea. You should be a musician. Right. <laughs> no, they wanted me to, you know, a lot lawyer or a doctor. And when they left, they had no idea what was going to become of me because I, you know, I hadn't done anything yet. And so they were surprised when I called them from, you know, from from Asbury Park and said, hey, I, I got a, signed to a record label. And I remember my mother just said, what would you change your name to? That was the first question. It can't be Bruce Springsteen. You must have changed it to something better than that. Did anybody pressure you to change your name? Because, I, I mean, uh, John Mellencamp got crazy because he was Johnny Cougar. I know. He yeah. doesn't like that. He doesn't like you know? it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, no, not at the time. Everybody everybody went with it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's so crazy. When I, when, when I um, you know... When you when I'm thinking about you as a songwriter, I think about the fact that like even with the Beatles, they had each other. Yeah, John had Paul. They could bounce stuff, and George ended up being a great songwriter too. But with you, it's so amazing. No real collaboration. I know you had the E Street Band and stuff, but for the most part, all of these songs came out of you. You sat and wrote them on your own. Sure. Did you ever? Did you ever get jealous of the bands who sit and write together? Mix got Keith, or did, did it, it just it just was something that never occurred to you to get a writing partner? Yeah, no, I, I I had gotten turned into a loner by just by the way that I grew up, and so I was used to being my own best company. Amazing, and so I just I said, no, I I want to be fully independent. I want to be the singer. I want to be the performer. I want to be the songwriter. You know, I was not interested in uh, uh, those kinds of collaborative partnerships. You know, I have a different kind of collaboration with the band and and uh, uh, plenty of my friends, Steve and 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 all the guys. But but when it came to that's why when I <clears throat> when I went up to CBS when I was twenty two, I went up there by myself with an acoustic guitar. Out of, like this, not even in a case. I just carried it. <laughs> What'd you play and for them? I walked into John uh, uh, Hammond's office. Yeah. And uh, the first song I played. Let me see. What kind of guitar is that, by the way? This is a Takamini guitar. It's a good acoustic electric I've used for a long time. Okay. But um, uh, it was a Saint in the City. That was the song that I. First song I played for John Hammond. Were you nervous? Yeah. You had I a lot ready. Yeah, I had. Well, I on the way up in the elevator, I said, "Okay, Mike Bell, my manager, has somehow talked his way into John Hammond's office." Now I know who John Hammond is. Right. Signed Dylan. Uh, you know uh, Billy Holler. I mean, this guy signed everybody, and uh, so. I know where I'm going, and I know who I'm going to see. And I'm telling myself, okay, well, the worst that can happen is I come out exactly as I am right now. That's not so bad. I make a living. I play <laughs> music. I enjoy my life. And so 
really, I said, I've got nothing to lose. The worst I'm going to be is exactly like I am. And I almost convinced myself that that was true. <laughs> yeah, but you got to tell yourself something. I kept, right. I kept talking. I kept giving myself the I almost convinced myself it was true until I sat down and looked across. It was a tiny little room. Looked across little desk and there was john hammond gray suit gray flat top tie shirt uh feet up on the desk resting back Oy. and did it turn you off like to see this corporate guy sitting he, there he didn't feel like that because i i knew who he was okay. and he was not a corporate guy right you know he was a real uh real old school artists and repertoire man you know right and so uh mike appell my manager at the time you know said a bunch of stuff like oh we're just in here to see if you got any i mean he just started to get so he went insane and so <laughs> and hammond was ready to kill us or throw us <laughs> out and finally said look just, just play me something so, so just said, like that yeah and i just went Jacket in my hair, slick sweet. Silver star studs on my duds like a Harley in heat. When I struck down the street, I could feel its heartbeat. The sisters fell back, said, Don't that man look pretty? Crippled on the corner, cried out, Nickels for your pity. Them downtown boys sure talk gritty. It's so hard to be a saint in the city. said you got to be on columbia records <laughs> wow and you were broke at that point nearly homeless right kind of yeah. not and no, i was homeless you were I homeless wasn't nearly homeless i was living in a sleeping bag on my uh, buddy's floor unbelievable and what pressure then when they say hey you got a deal yeah what pressure right to put out that first album because you just want it to hit and you want to you don't want to disappoint these people yeah you know they, they, they you know they invested in you and and uh, you know, I, I, but I, I felt I, I had a lot of experience when I got signed. I was 22, but I'd I've been playing everywhere for eight or nine years. Uh, every fireman's fair, you know, every bowling alley, every pizza parlor. That's what it uh, takes, right? Yeah, a thousand nights. I played them all. So when you're sitting in that room with him. The only reason you're so relaxed and you're able to play those chords and really do a powerful performance is you've just done it so many times. I've done it a lot of times. I, like I, knew, I knew what I was about. Uh, you know, I didn't know if I would ever make a record, if I would ever get signed, but I knew what I was about. I played for a lot of people and I'd heard a lot of applause before I walked in to see John Ammon. When you get in a studio for the first time, it's a totally different recording experience, right? Because... yeah. You got to have know how to tune for recording studio. You might, who showed you the ropes for that because you'd never done it before. Didn't know. I just walked in, and they told me where to be, 
He pointed to the microphone. I went to the microphone. <laughs> right. And I just <laughs> I stood stone like at midnight, suspended in my masquerade. I combed my hair till it was just right and commanded the night brigade. I was open to pain and crossed by. I just started singing. <laughs> it was all you, I knew to do. Were you nervous about the idea? You know, the Beatles, like when they go in the studio, there's overdubbing and there's all kind of things. But, you yeah. know, the first time in the studio, I just imagine it'd be very intimidating. Well, I did a I did a demo session with John Hammond. It was just me, the guitar and him and uh, uh, that he produced. And so, you know, I did that first. And then when I. Went in the studio with Mike, who was my producer on my first record. Uh, the, the record label wanted me to do, make a record with just the guitar and my voice. John Hammond wanted me to make a record with just the guitar and my voice. I had a band, so I tried to get the band onto the record. And I finally was able to get basically the rhythm section of the band onto the record, but I couldn't use any electric guitar. They didn't want me to use any electric guitar. And, uh, because it was the day of the singer songwriter. Right. So James Taylor and, uh, the, these were all the big. Jackson Brown. Yeah. You're right. Day of the singer songwriter. They were looking for the new Dylan. And, uh, uh, so, um, that's what they, they didn't even know I played with the band when I got signed. Wow. They had no idea that I had any rock chops whatsoever. <laughs> well, maybe in the end they were kind of, I mean, for me, the most personal records you've made, the ones that I love the most are with you and a guitar. Uh -huh. I mean, I love what you're doing now. You sitting here with a guitar, I, I mean, it's just uh, hypnotizing. It's, mem it's oh, just great. so memorable and, and it's great. Well, if you did, you know, I always say, if I, if I have a good song, I should be able to sit and play it by myself for you. you right. Know? Yeah. That, that, and it's it's like... You can still sometimes get more nuance out of just you, the guitar, and that piece of music that you wrote, even on big, big productions like Born to Run. You know, it's like I can still play them. Uh, you know, just playing it by yourself still. How do you play Born to Run by yourself? It's a whole oh, different just, uh, arrangement, yeah. right? Sweated out on the streets of a runaway American dream. At night we ride through mansions of glory and suicide machines. Wheels sprung from cages on Highway 9. Chrome wheels fuel injected in. Stepping out over the line, baby, this town rips the bones from my back. It's a death trap. It's a suicide rap. We gotta get out while we're young. This tramp's like us. Baby, we were born to run. So, you know, you, if the song was written well, you can just sit back and relax and dig into it. You know, it was a good song. Is that maybe the most pivotal song in your career from the standpoint that the first two albums had come out you were in a position where you thought columbia records might drop you if the third album wasn't big 
and then you write Born to Run, and it was your third album, and, and that song was released as a single even before the album came out. Yeah. Was that your do or die? Like, do you look back on that song and say, thank you, thank you, Born to Run, because you <laughs> say, you know, who knows what would have happened. I do. You do? I do, because uh, that was basically the song that people identified me with, and probably still do to some to some degree you know it's it's uh it comes at the end of the night do you get tired of playing it no <laughs> i talk to some musicians there's certain like billy billy joel i know fairly well he you know there's certain songs uh -huh. he just doesn't want to do in concert do you still write every day do you still write music every day no you do not <laughs> no. why not uh don't have something to say every day you know basically right. and i i don't like i don't go into a room and at 11 o'clock and right till three or something like that i'm i, I really kind of i wait for the songs to come along you know and uh how do uh, they come do they come like when you know einstein used to have his best ideas in the shower you're most relaxed when you're driving yeah, or in the shower that can happen you you're standing in the shower and suddenly <laughs> you hear um uh, uh, do you have a song in your head every day something that's so no. you do not no years years will go by with nothing really oh yeah you're so damn prolific. Would you get nervous during those periods and say, "God, do, I don't know. Do you believe in God? Do you do you have any?" Uh, yeah, and uh, I do plenty of praying that <laughs> that I'll write something again. But you never know if you're going to. You know, that's that's the trick with my with my job is that I don't know if I'm going to write another song. I hope so. <laughs> is it painful, Bruce, to write a song uh, like Billy says? He looks at those keys like shark's teeth biting his hands <laughs> that he can't stand you know the, the writing process he doesn't write songs anymore he just yeah. doesn't want to do it yeah uh, is it is it really that painful uh, i don't find it painful I, I find it i find it quite joyous when it happens uh this this last record i made with the band letter to you i wrote in about i i i hadn't written for the band in about six years i'd made other kinds of records but not rock records and so uh and then i wrote the entire record for the band in about oh two weeks or less and um it's because i just i knew what i wanted to write about you know uh let me see letter to you what was letter to you i had something i wanted to write about yeah i wanted to write about being in a rock band i wanted to write about what it's like to be in a rock band at my age and and uh so i was writing about a friend of mine who'd recently passed away who was the last guy in my first band and uh um that was really uh kind of something that it just got me thinking and and uh you mean you started to think about your own mortality yeah i think the first thing i wrote was um a song called Last Man Standing. Let me see if I can remember it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, here's I got my buddy. My buddy's passed passing away from cancer, and I go south to uh, Virginia, and and uh, uh, I saw him the last few days. He was alive. And so I come back, you know, and um, a week goes by, and faded pictures in an old scrapbook, faded pictures that somebody took. 
When you were hard and young and proud, backed against the wall, running raw and loud. Snakeskin vest and a sharkskin suit. Cuban heels on your boots. You're kicking the band and side by side. You take the crowd on their mystery ride. Knights of Columbus and the Fireman's Ball. Friday night at the Union Hall. Black leather clubs all along Route 9. You count the names of the missing as you count off time. Rock of Ages lift me somehow. Somewhere high and hard and loud. Somewhere deep into the heart of the crowd. I'm the last man standing on. So I wrote that. It's amazing. When uh, Clarence was dying, do yeah. I have it right that you went to see him and did, did that he actually passed away? You were sitting and strumming the guitar to him? Yes. That is just so... You went to see him, you had your guitar, and you felt... I, I assume he was not conscious at that point, but you no. felt like you felt internally like, hey, maybe Clarence can hear me. Well, I, I had a feeling he could hear me because he could squeeze your hand. Uh, he was, when I first went to see him, he had there was some response to your voice and to you being in the room, it, it felt like. So I just was took a hunch and said, well, you know, I knew I knew that uh I knew that he was going to die, and so I just brought the guitar in and just played, you know, I strummed a song called uh, Land of Open Dreams. Yeah, Land of Open Dreams. And um, Why did you choose that? Uh, it's about passing over to the other side, you know? It's about life and death, and uh, let me see if I can remember any of it. Can you remember all your songs? Can you do you need to go refresh if you decide to put a new song in the in the set list? I can remember a lot of songs, but I don't remember all of them. That's a nice guitar. What's that called? This is a a, a big Takamini. It's another. It's another. It's just a beautiful acoustic electric guitar. But what I do is I have a lot of different tunings. I see. And so this guitar is tuned. Open D. To. Uh, it's a basic open D tuning, except I take the lowest string and I tune it down to C, so I get... Hear how rich that is at the oh. bottom. So I'll do that when I'm playing on my own instead of a bass player. I'll... I'll you know, so... Uh, um, I do... I, I, the rising is in this tuning. This song, Land of Hope and Dreams, and this was just... Uh, so you're sitting there with Clarence, yeah, and you're losing a dear friend, a guy who like really believed in you, and you believed in him, yeah. And you started to strum, yeah. And you were alone in the room with him, or are the people no, around? I was. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, he had some of his his relatives. His brother was there. Um, I think Jake, his nephew, you know, his nephew was there. 
um, and there were a few other people, you know, but it was just a very tiny little space, and and uh, uh, so it was just grab your ticket and your suitcase. Thunder is rolling down this track. You don't know where you're going now, but you know you won't be back. Well, darling, if you're weary, lay your head upon my chest. We'll take what we can carry, and we'll leave the rest. Big wheels roll through fields where sunlight streams. Meet me in a land of. Open dreams. Yeah, well, I will provide for you, and I'll stand by your side. 'Cause you'll need a good companion now for this part of the ride. Yeah, leave behind your sorrows. Let this day be the last. Well, tomorrow there'll be sunshine, and all this darkness pass. Well, big wheels roll through fields where sunlight streams. Oh, meet me in a land of hope and dreams. There's a whole thing that goes. This train carries saints and sinners. This train—I don't remember it now. Carries losers and winners. You know, it's—it's it's a, a beautiful it's, song. It's a yeah. It's—it's it's a hymn. You know, it's a hymn. And uh, so, did you have any idea you'd sing that to him, or did it just no. sort of happen spontaneously? Yeah, I, I don't know how. It was just sort of. Uh, It was a song we were playing at the end of the night. It was one of the last songs that uh, Clarence and I worked on a sax solo together, together, uh, uh, together on, and uh, um, you know, so it was. Uh, it was. It's. 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 It's probably one of my best songs of the past twenty or thirty years. You know, and so it was just. Uh, Uh, that was it, you know. There wasn't Bruce, much else to say. When you write a song like that, I don't know if you remember where you wrote it or when it came to you. When you have it sort of down, what do you do? Do you play it for someone? Do you go to Patty and say, "Patty, I just wrote something. I want you to hear it." Who's your go-to person that you played it, or do you just, I don't know, record it into a little? Yeah, I'll play things for Patty sometimes, you know. Uh, I play things for John, of course. Eventually, John hears it. Uh, he's still my first audience, I'd say. Him and uh, and Pat's uh, uh, certainly my first audience. Uh, that was kind of part part of what what uh, got us together originally. Was John was like my first of a certain type of fan, you know. And, right. Uh, so I will very often, if 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 it reads for him, and it's reading for me. 
uh, it's a good consensus of that, okay, I've got something going here, and then I'll get it to the band, you know? When John wrote, I've seen the future of rock and roll, and, and you know, it was you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, I guess you kind of go, hey, this guy gets me. Maybe I'll play him a few songs and see if he... <laughs> yeah. You know, amazing thing with Clarence, too, even with the saxophone. You know, that's a tricky instrument in my mind. I'm not a musician, but... It is. To put that in rock and roll records, I always thought that was pretty brave. Most part, I do not like hearing a saxophone. I like, you know... A lot of people don't like horns. <laughs> yeah, right. And yet you made them work, right? I'm not sure why. <laughs> did, did but, it, uh, I know why. <laughs> Maybe because it's just a hard thing to work into a rock song. Oh, I know what I had to ask you. Yeah. When you were looking for a drummer, right? and Max Weinberg uh, obviously ended up being your guy, you put it, the ad in the paper and you said, no Ginger Baker Juniors <laughs> need apply. Now, That's correct. I, but now, I'm a huge fan of Ginger Baker. I think he's I one, of the too, best, one of the best drummer from Cream. Yes. Maybe one of the top five drummers of all time. Absolutely. Okay. Why did you say no? Wouldn't it be great to get a Ginger Baker in there? Or was no. it? What were you trying? Why? Because you wanted a guy who blended in and didn't try to do the well, solo. Well, kind of what I was doing was, was just giving a, a small hint as to the kind of music we were not playing at the time. Right. And so we were not playing sort of, uh, uh, it, it wasn't a blue or b blues based, heavy sounding, uh, uh, the type of band that was depending on a lot of uh, uh, individual uh, ex playing expertise. You know, I was I was creating a band that was some cross between, uh, uh, you know, Elvis's or Buddy Holly's band and James Brown's band. I wanted people that were going to come in and play as a unit, to where you you uh, you subsume your own ego into the whole project of creating a, a unified sound. So I was just saying, if you come in with two bass drums, you're not going to get in. <laughs> in order to be in your band, you got to be a tough musician. In other words, it, it, from what I read again, I don't know if it's true, but Clarence on the sax solo in Jungle Land, you had him there for 16 hours yeah. laboring over that sound you wanted it just right that's correct yeah. a lot of guys would have walked out right and said you know fuck this guy i'm you know he, it's too much for me well you have to find people with no place else to go that's, the first. <laughs> right. that, that, that's your first your first important thing when putting your band together don't find people that have options find would people you, with no options would you re when i saw did you watch the beatles thing uh get back the 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 way they wrote did you watch I did it not but i, I saw some of it I watched it. I was fascinated because I'm not a songwriter. I wonder what you like. They seem to do a lot of stuff in the studio, you know, really rehearse. And, and, right. and, and that's expensive. Would, would you rehearse everything and then get in the studio and record quick? But but if you haven't Clarence there for 16 hours in the studio, yeah, we did not do that. We did not rehearse everything and go and record quick. Uh, and that was a part of the problem was uh we would spend many hours in the studio sometimes working on arrangements and steve and i would work together on arrangements and the band would have their opinions and uh there were we we spent we spent many days on just one song wow. back in the late 70s and 80s uh and threw away every dime i ever had in rec in recording studios when i 1982 I had about $20,000 to my name. I was 32 years old. I'd been on, I'd had million selling records, been on a cover of Time and Newsweek. But I spent all my money in the studio or, you know, I lost it with bad deals. But, uh, uh, so, but later on, now I, 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 we don't do that anymore, you know, we're, we're, but, but at that point, 
you didn't i didn't know where i was going with it you know the jungle land solo was originally a guitar solo and we were playing the song out live with me i seem to remember playing a guitar solo there so we didn't know it was going to be a sax solo until we got it into the studio broke it down and somebody said or hey maybe we should use a saxophone here and then i clarence started to play the saxophone we played for 16 hours and then i had to sit at the board and uh, with clients would be over my shoulder and and i would just go track to track to track to track to track to track over six or seven or eight tracks creating that melody it wouldn't even go that long you'd get switch 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 and so that's how that that's how that solo was created oh that's why you kept saying switch over and over again piece by piece by piece by piece until it became the solo that I had you know, heard that, that people know of. you used to stay in the studio. Switch, switch. And I go, what the hell is Bruce on that is saying <laughs> switch, you know? But, oh, you were switching the tracks. And and did the guys in the band think you were out of your fucking mind because you were so obsessive when you, when you spent 16 yeah. hours? Well, forget the band. We were children. Right. We were kids. We were 24 years old when we were doing Jungle Land. You know, 25 tops. And, and uh, so... Everybody's just glad to be there. We're in a studio. My God, we are so lucky, you know. <laughs> Where were you when you came up with that piano intro? Did you hear Charlie Puth playing it? Yeah, the, he the, can really play it. And the funny thing is, I can't play it anymore. You I can't? No. What do you mean you can't play it anymore? I remember it. I can't remember how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, you mean you don't remember how you... Uh... No, all I can remember now is... Uh... You know, but I, I can't I can't play the whole thing anymore. I can play Backstreets, I'll bet. <laughs> Let me see. See, I wrote I wrote Most Born to Run on the piano, which is why the whole record was really written on that my aunt's little aeolian piano wow and so that's why all the songs have Like a vision, she dances across the porch as a radio play. Roy Orbison singing for the lonely. Hey, that's me, and I want you only. Don't turn me on again. I just can't face myself alone again. All written on the piano, you know. Don't you? back inside, darling, you know just what I'm here for. So you're scared, you're thinking that maybe we ain't that young anymore. Show a little faith, this magic in the night. You ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right. 
your covers instead of your pain. Make crosses from your lovers. Throw roses in the rain. Waste your summer praying in vain for Savior to rise from these streets. Well, I'm no hero that's understood. All redemption I can offer is beneath this dirty hood. With a chance to make it good somehow. What else can we do now? Except roll down the window and let the wind blow back your hair. Well, the lights busted open these two lanes will take us anywhere. We got one last chance to make it real. To trade in these wings on some wheels Climbing back, heaven's waiting down on the tracks Oh, come take my hand We're riding out tonight to case the promised land to cry on the air it's the first time ever <laughs> wow it's all written on the piano and uh all the little intros and the big jungle land intro i wrote it all on the piano but why was it that particular piano the piano at your aunt's house was there a certain sound there that no she just gave it to me and and i got it on a truck and i brought it over to this little house i was uh wow. staying in and so i just had my little aunt's junky aeolian piano in the uh, front room of this little house that i rented and uh that was my that was, those were my keyboards that was only keyboard do you ever say to yourself um that's the best song i ever wrote is there a song that sticks out in your mind that you say you know this is the best song i ever wrote yeah you never know you know uh sometimes i like newer ones uh there's a, i have a lot of songs i would say what are the songs i like i like darkness on the edge of town right I like uh, Born to Run. It's a good song. Born in the USA is a good song, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, Thunder Road, I got to put that up there. Uh, Nebraska album, it's got the song Nebraska on it. Oh, and, I love uh, that song. You know, so um, uh, I like a lot of the songs on Letter to You. That was a, the whole record was a good piece of writing. Um, Tom Joe, you know, there's, there's a. Uh, Rising, rising was good rising. Song, you know, oh. like the guitar for that. Yeah. What were you thinking with uh, the rising? When did, did something come to mind when I when someone says to you, "Hey, Bruce, I love the song The Rising." Yeah. What comes to mind? Well, that was a funny thing, you know, because uh, September 11th, I was I was on the shore and and. Uh, I was actually I was actually down at at this beach that I go to that you have a real clear view of Lower Manhattan from, and so you have a uh, house at the shore. Uh, no, it was a just a, a beach club that I go to that uh, I was I was at that day, you know, and mm -hmm. and and you have a real you had a real clear view north to Lower Manhattan, so you could see the 
the trade centers. And, uh, you know, I was like everybody else. Uh, you're just in shock, you know. And so I was going back home. Uh, and as I came out, some guy yelled from me, rolled down his car window and yelled, Hey, Bruce, we need you. <laughs> Just, <laughs> and you're like, oh, you know, like, uh, right. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know. <laughs> uh, but um, I did go home and... Uh, you mean right away you go home from the... First of all, I'm picturing Bruce Springsteen at a beach club. Uh, you know, I don't know what name of his club. I don't know where it's at. <laughs> what the hell? You're running around in a speedo. I mean, what, what exactly? Is, yeah, right. Uh, but 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 like when someone says to you, "Hey, Bruce," it's like your New Jersey Superman. I mean, all yeah. of a sudden, Bruce, we need you. But you took that to heart in a weird, in a real way. And what do you do? You go home and start writing on a pad. Because you don't yeah, write just, music, right? You don't. You don't no, know. No, I don't notes. write music. I, right. just, I would just open a notebook and and. Uh, so, I mean, you know, he felt so powerless and uh, in, in the face of the events of the day. But, but at some point over the next week or so, you know, I just picked. I remember picking the guitar up and and I might have been fooling around with some of the tunings and stuff. But I, I just says, can't see nothing in front of me. Can't see nothing coming up behind. Make my way through this darkness. I feel nothing but this chain that binds me I've lost track of how far I've gone How far I've gone or how high I've climbed On my back's a 60-pound stone On my shoulder a half-mile of line Come on up to the horizon Lay your hands in mine Come on up for the rising Come on up for the rising tonight Left the house this morning Bells ringing filled the air Wearing the cross of my calling On wheels of fire I come rolling down here Come on up for the rising Come on up, lay your hands in mine Come on up for the rising Come on up for the rising tonight Hey, lie, 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 lie Lie, 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 lie There's spirits above and behind me Faces gone, black eyes burning bright May their precious blood bind me Lord, as I stand before your fiery light I lie, 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 lie I see you, Mary, in the garden garden of a thousand sighs those holy pictures of our children dancing in a sky filled with light may I feel your arms around me may I feel your blood mixed with mine a dream of life comes to me 
Like a catfish dancing on the end of my line Sky of blackness and sorrow A dream of life Sky of love, sky of tears A dream of life Sky of glory and sadness A dream of life Sky of mercy, sky of fear A dream of life Sky of memory and shadow A dream of life Your burning wind fills my arms tonight Sky of longing and emptiness A dream of life Sky of fullness Sky of blessed light Come on up for the rising Come on up, lay your hands in mine Come on up for the rising Come on up for the rise in the night. Lie, 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 A dream of life. A dream of life. I dream of life. It's a prayer, you know. It's a oh, prayer. It's magnificent, you know. And uh, what a magnificent performance! Yeah. I mean, your voice too has gotten even stronger. I mean, uh, that's a blessing, right? Thank Do you, you worry about your voice and your hands and your body because yeah, as you yeah, get older, not everyone can hold on to that voice. Yeah, I've been, I've been really, really lucky with my voice. My voice has actually gotten better as I've gotten older. And why that is? I mean, you know, I never smoked or drank heavily or anything, so. I suppose that helps, but oh, uh, it's magnificent, you know. And, and, and uh, sometimes my, I worry about you because when you, when you're doing a live show, I mean, you're you know you're putting <laughs> it out there. Did you ever go to a vocal coach and say, "Hey, how can I?" No, no you just kind of let it. That's rock and roll. I was lucky that, for one reason or another, I I sang correctly. Why I don't know. You wow. Know? Uh, but I sang. I sing. I I I, I just had a, a naturally healthy technique and I, I i can sing like i'm singing sound like i'm singing really really loud you know i want to tell you how it's gonna be you're gonna give your love to me i'm gonna love it night and day love that's real not fade away so i can sing like that and your guitar. It sounds like I'm giving it everything, but I'm. And what about your hearing? Can you? Did, did, has uh, rock and roll destroyed it? Or yeah, you... it's 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 bad. Uh, it's I, bad. Yeah, I'll use hearing aids. You do? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Patty said, "Hey man, you are you just not listening to me, <laughs> or can't you hear a fucking word I'm saying?" <laughs> oh my god! And I go, "Honey, what's that problem? Listening? Well, get get." Get some hearing aids. <laughs> do you ever take the hearing aids out and just say enough? <laughs> no, I can't no, do that. But uh, I, I do. Uh, I wear the. I wear them when I'm home quite a bit. I wear them and, and they help a lot. Do you? Do you? Um, as a guitar player, I mean, the way you're picking and you get a, a very crisp sound out of your guitar. In other words, I don't hear any mushy notes. No. Nah. Uh, you know, I I, I I hear a clarity with your guitar play. Do you rate yourself as a good guitar player or a great guitar player? Yeah, I'm a good guitar player. Uh, my guitar playing is underrated, as a matter of fact. Uh, <laughs> but it is true, isn't it? In yeah, a sense. I, star I started out as a... Uh, um, uh, 
uh, as a, uh, a guitarist. You know, I started out as a lead guitarist. That was my original gig. And around my area, I made a living as a lead guitarist. That was, I wouldn't have survived otherwise, you know, so. How did you make a living? In other words, did you do studio sessions or did you? No, uh, just, no, just, just playing with bands. Burning down the house and having people come and, you know, pay a few bucks at the door to see me, you know. And, and so I was all about uh, shredding, shredding. I was all wow. about shredding th in, through my teens and early 20s. And uh, uh, I did plenty of uh, ginger bakering myself and Eric Claptoning, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, a, and a little bit of Jimi Hendrix, too. Oh, plenty, yeah. plenty, you know. So, uh, uh, so yeah, I, you know, I, I. The guitar playing. The other, I had to get an operation on my neck, and um, because slowly over a period of years, I started to notice my fingers were going numb, right. and I had a real. I had pain down my arm, and uh, oh, that must have put you in a panic. I mean, a well, real nightmare. I, what I was like, I get on stage, and one of the last tours we were doing before I had it fixed, I realized I get through halfway or three quarters of the way through a solo, and my fingers would just fatigue suddenly. Oh. And I said, well. I can't have that, you know. And so uh, I had discs, uh, C4, C5 or something, and uh, uh, it was a bit freaky because they, they cut your throat, basically, open you up, tie your vocal cords off to one side, oh. which is a little... <laughs> yeah, which is and dangerous you, in your business. Yeah, and they tell you, yeah. and you're not going to be able to sing for three months. Oh, no. So I came home. I didn't sing for three months. Then I went in my garage. I picked up a guitar, and... Uh, what do you play? You haven't sung for three months. What did you play when that happened? I played Darkness on the Edge of Town. <laughs> That's appropriate. Man, you know. Um, uh, <laughs> I wish I could have been there. Yeah, it was, I was in Florida. In my little, little, I have a little tiny garage. Yeah. And I said, all right, I wonder if I wonder if I can sing. They're still racing out at the trestles. That keeps me down in my in my mid range. Yeah, I got that. But that blood never burned in her veins. She got a house up in Fairway. Well, if she wants to see me, that felt pretty good. You can tell her that I'm easily found. You know, there's a darkness on the edge of town. But I guess by the time I get to the end, I'm into on the So once I got to that note, I said, I'll be all right. <laughs> oh, that's great. When, when you were going through this thing with your hands, that's when you got to perform with the Rolling Stones. And that must have bummed you out in the sense that you wanted to be full on yeah. Bruce Springsteen. And of course. Yeah. What did you do with the Stones? I sang Tumbling Dice. Nice. Tumbling Dice was me. That was the best. And I had you, a great time. Right. But, you know, it, when you're worrying about your hands and things, it's got to be <laughs> nerve wracking. This guy, you know, I was thinking about you. This guy, Tom Morello, who I'm a huge fan of. Incredible. And I love when you guys do the Ghost of Tom Jode. I, it's just fantastic. And I, I really admire him. I like him a lot. And, and uh, you seem to get a real energy. There's a guy who can shred. Oh, and, yeah. And when you guys perform together, you seem to really be getting a kick out of this. Yeah, Tom and I have some sort of brain meld, you know, we're, 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 uh, he's, he's a, besides being an incredible musician, he's an amazing guy, he's an amazing person, you know, and, uh, uh, he, he was coming to the shows with my sister, my sister Pam, and I said, okay, he's raging, so I said, that's great, and we met, and I said, I don't, I'm not sure where we're gonna, if I were, if we're gonna musically 
cross, you know, <laughs> somewhere. Right. But one night, I said, "Why well, just come come down, come a sound check, and come up, and we'll play." You know, we'll play Is that something. how it goes? Like yeah. sometimes you'll say to a musician, "Hey, why don't you come to sound check?" Yeah, that, so and you, but you're checking them out. I'm come down and so let's see if we can figure something out and we ended up with this version that goes to tom joe that really was explosive and he oh, and he great. played at the end of it and he played just i mean the roof came off the place and, and we were in los angeles and it was just uh, uh epic you know he's pretty he's an epic guitar player so i, I you know i always thought the traveling wilburys was a great super group you know all these oh, yeah, Dil- right? yeah. Lo- lovely music fantastic blending of voices roy orbison one of your yeah. heroes do you ever say to yourself, you know, before I die, why not, if I was going to form a super group, maybe I'll get together with uh, Tom Morello, I don't know, I don't know, Billy Joel, I, I don't know who the hell it would be, and do an album. Has that ever crossed your mind? Or have you ever been in a room with a couple of other artists where you guys jammed and something good came out of it? I would say, who are the guys that I've had a lot of fun playing with? Uh, John Fogarty. I love playing with John, and we play really well together. Tom, of course, Tom Morello. I said, well, what if we did a record where, you know, we wrote together and uh, uh, something, you know, closer to a heavy, heavier sounding record, you know? That, yeah. that, could, that could be fun. Uh, I also i have played with Neil and Neil Young on stage, and I like playing with him. We play together real well. Now, and, there's uh, a guy you must admire. I mean, oh, yeah, I love he's, Neil, yeah. He, he's as prolific as you. No, but you're actually probably even more prolific, I mean, in terms of... I mean, he, he makes a lot of records and writes a lot of songs. Yeah, I, but if he's he's similar to you in the sense that he'll go off, you know, Kent State happens, four dead in Ohio. He goes off into the woods for 20 minutes, comes back out with a very important song. Uh, that's your, that's sort of like you with The Rising, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's a... I mean, you, you sort of you 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 do what you can, you write what you can, and uh, you know I'll, you'll go home and I'll go. Do I have anything to say about? This? Is is it possible? In the case of the eleventh, is it possible to say anything about this? Right. And uh, I said, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, but. Uh, that's why what I wrote was a prayer. The only thing I could think was all I know. I, all I know to do right now is to pray, mm. and and uh, and that was really what the, that kind of whole album fell into that category. But that song particularly, which uh, is probably one of my better songs of the past thirty years or so. You know, it 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 just. You know, you're, you're when you can write those, you're lucky. It's always luck, luck. Is it? You know, it's, it's your craft, your talent. You've put the years in. You know how to put a piece of music together. But at the same time, there's always something going on you don't understand. Any good piece of music has, quote, the X factor where you don't understand how you wrote it. If you, you know, there's, you, you, that's why I say, I don't know if I'm going to... Will you write again? Who knows? I don't know. You know, wow. it's it's magic. Is there a song of yours that is particularly difficult for you to play on the guitar that you have trouble with, where you say, "Oh shit, I'm going to do this," but it's difficult for me? Uh, my stuff is easy to play. You know, uh, um, is that true? Yeah, my all my stuff is four chords, as they say. What do they call it? Four chords and the truth. That's what they say <laughs> about rock and roll or, right. or country music or folk music, and. Uh, uh, all my stuff is like that, you know. I mean, I'll I'll invent 
different tunings and things like I did for Born in the USA. And 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 when I when I play by myself, I have a lot of different tunings. But I, but I don't have anything. If, if you know, I don't, I don't have anything really intricate that that's like a guitar player is going to hear and go oh my god how did he do that no yeah, have you heard about like keith richards saying that he he removes uh the sixth string and plays yeah with, yeah like that's a weird thing like you guys do that you sit in a room and yeah. play around with that instrument and sort of reinvent it oh yeah yeah that's a yeah. great tuning the uh, the it the five string tuning is a great tuning a lot of people use that he and he uses it you know I can't do it with this guitar. I'd have to use that guitar. But uh, it's how he gets those great slashing chords at the Stones. What were you trying to play there? That you uh, start me up. Oh. There it is. He's a riff master, right? He, yeah. He, he's someone. Have you met him? Of course. And and, and do, do, could you hang out with him? If I was hanging out with you and I was I was Keith Richards, yeah. would you guys purposely not talk about music? Yeah, I'm not going to say, Keith, let's play Start Me Up. No, but would you ever say, hey, let's take out the guitars and play just for fun? I would, Probably not. You no? Know? Why? Because it's, in other words, if I got together with a bunch of disc jockeys, you wouldn't grab microphones and start talking because it's work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. you know, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it'd be unusual, you know? Yeah. What's a night like at your house if if, if, <laughs> if someone comes up do you and, and patty entertain do you have people over a lot <laughs> why is that we, funny we uh yeah. we, we had a big family when we moved back to new jersey after we lived in la for about six years and i came back jersey and came back home because we had like eight eighty member family irish italian family and did you uh, hate la uh no no i like la i like la i like la a lot really uh i have we had a great house there had my motorcycles i'd take it out into the saint saint angeles national forest and i'd ride out into the mojave desert you still ride uh i do but i not as much as i used to no fear factor with that i mean um uh, speaking of billy he told me he once crashed his motorcycle he goes hey i got up i couldn't feel my thumb and i'm like dude (laughs) think of your career protect yourself i was lucky i got my really bad accident out of the way when i was 18 or so and uh, which i was very lucky because i should have been dead i had really no, i had no helmet or anything on and i f- was hit by a cadillac <laughs> <laughs> nice. and uh flew off the bike landed on the road hit my head knocked out for about 45 minutes oh wow and I had a brain concussion and uh but i was lucky that i was, I was really lucky i survived i, I should have been uh, i could have easily been dead you know so so after that i stopped for about 10 years and then i picked it up again and i've ridden till i still do now a little but not much anymore and maybe maybe you're just getting old and you love it you know is that a I hobby like, of yours I like it, a lot. it was a hobby of mine it's not so much now did you ever tell me what your hobbies what are you doing beside music i mean are you what is your day i like photography you know, I'll, the I'll, photography. Take, I'll take some pictures uh but most of the time i like making music my right. hobby is music <laughs> right yeah no listen you know, and you're pretty good at it yeah <laughs> so it's sort of like i'll you know i'll spend days uh just recording wow you know, like the uh, you got a studio at your house i have a studio at my house and uh do you bring in an engineer I have an engineer that works with me full time and uh, a producer because I'm I make continuous records. In other words, what I'm doing now because I haven't had to write this last record I made is a record of covers of some of my we favorite songs. We should talk soul. about that. We can. We don't right. have to. I, but I uh, you know, <laughs> it's a but it's a it's a it's a neat record and 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 I don't have to write so I can just you know I can just 
gather gather songs and gather music and go in and and record and see what's catching fire and what's not you know so uh i can make con- sort of continuous records so i made that record and i've been making another one since then and so i'll i my hobby is i still love going in and singing and playing and so the engineer will come by and uh-huh. you'll sit in the studio at your house yeah and you'll do whatever it is you want to do. That's right. I was surprised on the new album. You're a Commodores fan. I didn't see you as a Lionel <laughs> Richie guy, you know? I mean, cause you did this song, this album is probably pure joy for you. It's songs. People yeah. say, well, what is Bruce Springsteen like? Well, <laughs> these are the songs you like. Well, the funny thing was the, the Commodores had to hit. This was the hit they had after Lionel left. Lionel oh, right. leaves. And they have this huge hit right after release, you know. Maybe that's why you like it. But uh, it, it's a great, great song, and and uh, uh, it's just a beautifully written song. The album here. Wait, I'll. Uh, I think I have this right here. I've got so many of your songs in front of me. It's, it's but the album. I should tell people Bruce Springsteen's new album, "Only the Strong Survive." There it is. Will be available November 11th. Woo! It's weird promoting a new album, isn't it? Now with this business, I, I mean, don't know. Does it matter? You know, I, I sort of. I think it's the thing where, uh, you know, I've I've got a sizable audience that's interested in, thankfully, still interested in what what's interesting me. And I, but your job is, as Marty Scorsese, I think it was once said, the job of the artist is to make the audience care about your obsessions. Right. Hmm. You know, and you've had to do that, too, you know. And it's- well, you know the quote I love of yours that has actually inspired me where you said um, uh, John Stewart was inducting you into the um, doing the Kennedy Center Honors. And I happen to love that night watching that. And um, the piece they did, you said something about my career has been a lifelong conversation with my audience. Sure. And I went, oh, my God, that is such a great way of I never looked at it that way. Yeah. But that's what I'm doing. That's definitely what you're doing. And that's what Bruce is doing. You know. And it's such a beautiful way to look at it. It is. And and the progression of that conversation is essential. You know, I, I, I tell you what really moved me was your interview in Rolling Stone from 2019. That was really, a, it was a, a very telling uh, and uh, vulnerable interview. And uh, and that's what, kind of what you were saying was, hey man, you, you know, you gotta change, you gotta, you gotta move onward, or you're gonna have nothing left to say to your, what, you know, what, what's, what's, what, what new thing, new conversation are you going to be able to have with your audience? Which is tough because in my business, when you come up, you know, you're coming up off the street and you're, a lot of your pals are with you. The biggest insult is, you changed, man! I know. You fucking changed! Why did you change? You know, you changed. And you go like, yeah, but, yeah, I, you didn't change. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I always look at it like, why would you want to listen to a guy, whether he's a musician or a guy on the radio? Why would you want to listen to the same thing over and over again? Don't you want to know yeah. that I changed? And then you got to accept also that the people who loved you um, when you were d- doing a certain kind of album, some of them aren't going to be there with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I have friends, I have people come up to me when I did Tunnel of Love. It was 1987. Forget about now. I go, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I liked it when you were singing about the cars and the girls. Right. You know, as soon as I started singing about relationship, no, I, 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 you lost me there, you know. So you, you go through your career and, you know, you, you pick people up and people go by the wayside. And, and that's that's the nature of. But aren't you proud of yourself when creativity. you change? Isn't yeah. it great when you can change and you can say to your audience, 
hey man, I managed to change. Yeah. Maybe you should look at yourself. And, well, and, and I would have had no life. I would have had no life. I would have had no kids. I would have had no home life. And for a while when I was young, I thought that was romantic. Right. And quickly as I got older, I realized, uh, maybe not. And uh, But I had to learn the skills to change enough to be able to to have those things, to have children and to parent them and, and to be a, a, a reasonably responsible and, and, and trusting partner. You know, the, the, these are things that for people who prison come naturally to you. You know, I remember Patty saying, hey, you go off on a motorcycle. If you're not coming home, you got to call me on the phone. To call you on the phone? I don't call. I don't call any. You know, and it was just sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm. I'm in a relationship, and I'm not dead by the side of the road. She wants to know that I, you know, that I'm You're coming okay. home. Or, and so, I started with something as crude as that to wow. learn to suddenly be responsive and accountable to somebody that I was in love with, and, and hopefully that loved me. But, and then it was just. Isn't it amazing you didn't know that? Like didn't you know didn't it. know. Hey, I'm supposed to check in with my wife. Yeah, I didn't know. I was so stupid. I didn't know that. I mean, that's how stupid I was, you know, and I look back and I go, Jesus Christ. And that's why, yeah, I was, and I didn't have anything. You can be that way, but you can't have things and be that way. You know, you're not going to have a... And you certainly could not have raised children who would no. be well-adjusted if you kept making it about yourself, the <laughs> rock star, and and bringing all the attention to yourself. You had to make your kids the stars. Yeah, and, you, you know, it's like I always tell my... My, my, I always tell people, I said, gee, what do you, you, you know, what do your kids think if they come and see the show? I said, well, it's unnatural. I said, it, yes. first of all, kids wouldn't mind to see 50,000 people boo their parents. I'd pay to see that myself. <laughs> but but, but 50,000 people cheer their parents? What kid wants to see that? No. Nobody really, you know? Did, were so, your kids able to talk to you about that? Were they able to say, Dad, it's hard to be in your light. It's hard did. to go see you on stage. They, were, you know, they felt comfortable telling you that. Everybody was different with it. You know, it was harder for some of the kids than others. And uh, uh, so my main thing was don't bring it home. Right. Don't bring it into the house. When you, if you came into our house, you know, we, Bruce, we never we never brought it into the house. Isn't there a temptation because we're all somewhat narcissistic and you overcame it? Oh, I want my kids to see me up on that stage. I want to see them. I, I want them to see me being worshipped. Oh, you do? Yeah. You know, <laughs> until you realize it just doesn't, you know, what's really important. Well, they, you know, yeah, it's, it's great, but there's other guys that do this job. I need dad. Right. Or I need, you know, you realize they, you know, they, <laughs> your kids are going to find their own heroes as they should, as every concurrent generation should. They're going to find their own heroes. They don't need more heroes. They need you to like, give me a fucking ride to Johnny's house, man. <laughs> you know? Or, you know, take me to get some ice cream. They don't, they don't need another hero. And, and they is. certainly don't need their parents to be their heroes, you know. And so once you figure that out, which which we did pretty naturally, you know, but 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 it, you do you are coming out of a place of the the enormous narcissism that it takes to do my job, right. and 
you did have to grow out from underneath that and it was a tremendous burden and and i still carry it but patty is my bullshit detector and she'll just go stop <laughs> don't bring this in the house don't do it like and, and i know isn't that great yeah and i don't she is 99.9 percent .9 of the time absolutely right if she says something i listen and i start to sort of I'll alter what my behavior and alter what I'm doing. So this is a blessing to have, you know, and uh, but you'd have to build a life to have those things and you have to make room for those things in your life. And uh, the people that don't, they don't survive. They don't make it. No, they don't last, you know, uh, and you see there's, there's so many cases in my business of people who they didn't last long enough to get their lives together. A life that they that they deserve to live, you know, and and it's always heartbreaking to me uh, when you see uh, people who were able to give of themselves to quite a, to a degree where hey, you just brought a lot of joy into the world. I say, man, I, I like my my heroes old and fat and living, you know, living forever, man. I I. I there's no glory in these. Nah, uh, the whole, the whole, the rock and roll death cult was, was you know, it was a romantic idea, but it's it's bullshit when you when it comes down to living. <laughs> is rock and roll dead? I'm I'm so glad that you still go on tour and you keep this tradition alive. It is amazing, and uh, you know, there's not a lot of guys doing it on your level. So I mean, uh, but it feels like rock is kind of gone in a way, you know. It's just not as important to everybody as it. If to me, growing up, there was nothing more important. Yeah, I think music is, music has had to share the, the cultural arena with uh, video games, movie, you know, all everything else, everything you can imagine, and that's just that's today. Don't you, know? you thank God you're not doing it today, like coming up and trying. I do. Yeah, it's. I, I gotta say, I do. You know. Yeah. Uh, I tell Steve, I said, look, we're old men, okay? But we came up in a golden age. Right. What we did. Yep. You know? Yep. If you're, a, if you're a young guy playing a guitar in 1967, 1975, 1985, uh, you came up just as the, the whole, that whole business turned into something that no one ever thought it would and we were like the ball players that got paid yep. you know instead of the guys like mickey Mantle who came who were incredible but it was before they paid you i my first contract was the first one of the first of the last of the contracts where you don't get paid <laughs> <laughs> you know i spent i had 10 years of that so i had enough of a taste of it to where i was like oh but then we were lucky. Yeah, we were the guys who came up from the street, did the job, and got paid. You know, so it's a blessing. You know, but I wouldn't want to be starting now. No, no, it I seems don't horrible. Know, I don't know if they if if you can create. It's it's just a different world. That's all. It's just a different world. And it seems unmanageable. It seems like all over the place. At least you knew what to do. You go out and tour. You make an album. You get it on the radio if you could. It was a way of becoming successful. Yeah, that, that's, that's changed now. I mean, people still feel, I mean, my daughter, Taylor Swift fan to the max. The other day, I pick her up at the airport. She says, Dad, Taylor Smith, Taylor Swift has got a banging new record. So I got a banging new record. All right. And plays it for me, top volume, all the way from Newark to Colts Neck, you know, then <laughs> dancing in her seat. And I said, 
That's what I like to see. <laughs> it felt, it felt What'd good. What did you think of the record? You know, it was good. It was good? <laughs> She's super talented. You know super her? Super ta- Just a little bit. Right. She's a tremendous writer. And uh, uh, and I know her producer Jack Antonoff very well. Just they making make great records, you know. So so there's, there's people out there. Hey, there's a lot of great work going on. People still making great records, and people are finding a lot of joy in those records. That's that that's going to go on. It's just going to be different, you know. And that's it. Bruce, here's a little bit from your new album. Really? Yeah. Listen. <laughs> Come on. From uh, I'll talk it up. WNBC. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen's new album, Only the Strong Survive. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking. Yeah, right. Yeah, 54 <laughs> degrees outside. Right I love it. <laughs> Doesn't it bother you when radio guys talk a lot? No, no you I like it? That's what I want to hear. You love really? to talk up? Yes, yeah. hell yeah. Come on out, you barber. And then, <laughs> boom. <laughs> Here it comes. He was a friend of mine. The voice sounds very good. <laughs> and he could sing. Well, I worked really song. hard on my singing on this record because I could choose choose music that I could sing well rather than go the other way, you know? Right. So, and this is just such a beautiful song. Beautiful song. The guys that wrote this were incredible. You know, but. When you uh, choose songs for this kind of album where you're going to sing other people's songs. Yeah. Hard or like, I, I know immediately I, these are the ones. I made an entire record doing it and threw it out. So really? I, yeah, I made, uh, there's 15 songs on this record, 40 songs left on the floor. Wow. You know, so I still will do that sometimes. And on this record, I basically chose songs, A, that I love, and that based around my singing. So what I'm really proud of on this record is, and the one I'm, I'm still working on at the house also, is that it's all music that I chose based upon my voice and getting my voice out front. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. And, and just being able to sing some other, other great songs right now is, is, is a lot of fun for me. Oh, beautiful. Man, what a morning. My head is spinning. Had a good this. time. I, I hope back. you did. I mean, I, I had an incredible time. I mean, you're you're just you're yeah. Just we a, hope you had a good time. I had a good time. We've had a great long. time. You are a gift to the world, my friend. Hey, I mean, thank you, you really are just unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, just hearing your process and how you put these songs together and your personal growth with therapy and it's pretty amazing life. And yeah, it's been good. God, I've been blessed. God bless. Thank you, Howard. It was at a great time. Bruce. Thanks for, for being so great to me. I just want well, you to know. Well, next time, Howard, you, you need to really delve into what it's like to be Bruce Springsteen because he treats <laughs> fame in a different way. You, yeah, know, he's, you know, he's out there at the beach club. I know. You know, I just haven't been to a beach. You know, it's funny. I was um, really consumed with you yesterday. I stopped off to see my mother. She's 95 years old. Ah, mine's 97. Uh, oh, so wow. you're, are you taking care of your mother too? Yes, I am. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's, it's pretty challenging, isn't it? Yes, congratulations. I'm, I'm happy that she's that she's still there. Oh, she's, she's still there. Yeah. Oh, she gave it to me yesterday, man. <laughs> is your is your pop still alive? He just died this summer. Oh, he sorry. was ninety nine. Wow, and he had, he had a good run. It was sad. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I imagine uh, maybe this is what some of what you felt, but it was hard for me because I felt we missed out on a life together. Yeah, he yeah. just didn't. Uh, he, he didn't. Yeah, I know. He didn't take a lot of pride in me. That's a shame. Yeah, and I feel it to this day that, man, he was my greatest hero and my greatest foe. Yeah. And when you said that, that's like, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. 
Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, I was lucky that my dad, through modern medicine and pharmacology, had a, the last 10 years of his life was pretty peaceful. And, and he enjoyed, you know, I remember I came up from L.A. He's, they lived in San Francisco and he'd sit at the kitchen table still. Unless I'm talking to 90s, he's still at the kitchen table in his little house. And I come up, I walk in, I sit down across from him. He's got his beer, his cigarette. I go in my jacket, I pull out my Oscar, I put it on the table. Right? <laughs> Between it's pretty us. Good. Between us. I don't say anything. I just go and put it on the table. And he sits there for a minute. Then he says, I'll never tell anybody what to do ever again. <laughs> ah, well, that's beautiful. But was that your, like, hey, now finally maybe I've won your love? I guess it was, you know. I said, hey, not too bad for a loser. <laughs> look, look what you had. Look at the hoops you had to jump through. Had to jump through To, to get this hoops. man's love. I know. See, I that's have what a, we the, do. The, the last thing I'm going to, I've kept you too long, but the theory I had, because you say in your Broadway show, hey, you know, I wrote a lot of, I was never a blue collar worker. I never worked in a factory, but I wrote all these songs and I'm a fraud I, because I've never yeah. done that. But I felt this was your attempt to bring your father into your music. Your yeah. father was the blue collar guy who Absolutely. worked these shitty jobs. No, I came on, I came along at the end of the day. I put on his clothes and I sang his song. Right. That's what I did. You became him in a sense. That's right. It's the only way you get close to him. That was it. I'll sing music about his life. That's right. If I can't get your love, I'll be you. I'll become you. And you'll be close to me like that. And do you feel like I do? That I know my parents' pain and sorrow more than my own. Yeah, of course. I totally over-identified with them. Yeah. The horror of their life. And it was pretty horrible. Yeah. And their sad stories and everything, I feel their sadness more than I ever... I never felt anything for myself. Yeah. I only felt their stuff. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that was all I knew was I was so impacted by my, my dad's pain and by what he went through that all I knew was when I picked the guitar up, I just, I just started to write about that. I said, I, I've got to make that right. What am I here for? I am, I am his agent of... Uh, I am his agent in the world, you know, whether it's an agent of revenge or agent of love. I, I am his agent in the world and I'm going to, I'm going to make something out of your story. Wow. You know, and a lot of my work, if not most of it, that's the root of it. That's the center of it. That's the core of it. Yeah. My mother used to say to me, you are my representative. Mm -hmm. I was I like, like to that. who? I'm living in a shithole. A representative. <laughs> no one's looking for me. Uh, yeah. Well, geez, Bruce, what a morning. Great I'm time. Sure, I don't know about you, but I got a pish. You must have to also. Great time. I sure do. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> you got that You've been a lot of water. I've noticed. Yeah. I sure do. Yeah. I stopped drinking the water. I stopped drinking water, too. <laughs> too much peeing going on. You have an enlarged prostate? Uh, no, I'm good. Oh, wow, you're lucky. <laughs> uh, Bruce Springsteen's new album, Only the Strong Survive, will be available on November 11th. You can hear Bruce on Sirius XM's E Street Radio, Channel 20, yeah. which is really well done. You, yeah, you, they you, do a great job, man. I gotta give them credit. And then, I don't do much with it, and they, they've turned it into really something. It's a real, it's a real centerpiece for me and my fans, place to go. I mean, so many live shows that you have 
yeah recorded so that's great all on there that's yeah great. you can just you know it's just a wonderful clearing house for sort of everything that we do you know I can't thank you enough for this morning. I'll let you out of <laughs> here. You're going to have 50 million more questions. Thank you for being so generous with me. It is my pleasure. Thank you for forgiving me for no, any no, past no. sins. <laughs> no, no, it's important to say. And uh, Bruce will later today be uh, handing out Halloween candy to half of New Jersey well, after the beach driving. club. He's driving people <laughs> yeah. as they go trick-or-treating. Yeah, some guy called this morning and goes, oh, yeah, Bruce gave me a ride. Uh, I'm like, really? Jeez. I, yesterday, I'm, 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 I visited my mother, and I'm coming to see, you know, coming in here to town to be with you. And some lady walks up to me and goes, hey, you Howard Stern? And I go, No. <laughs> this, guy, this guy calls up this morning Bruce is giving rides out <laughs> well listen thank you a million times over yeah, you can just you know it's just a wonderful clearing house for sort of everything that we do you know I can't thank you enough for this morning. I'll let you out of here. You're going to have 50 million more questions. Thank you for being so generous with me. It is my pleasure. Thank you for forgiving me for no, any no, past no. sins. No, no, it's important to say. And uh, Bruce will later today be uh, handing out Halloween candy to half of New Jersey well, after the beach driving. club. He's driving people <laughs> yeah. as they go trick-or-treating. Yeah, some guy called this morning and goes, oh, yeah, Bruce gave me a ride. Uh, I'm like, really? Jeez. I, yesterday, I'm, I'm, I visited my mother, and I'm coming to see you know coming in here to town to be with you and some lady walks up to me and goes hey you howard stern and i go no <laughs> <laughs> this, guy, this guy calls up this morning bruce is giving rides out <laughs> well listen thank you a million times over thanks howard you are, love. you are incredible nothing but love for you bruce howard said he needed 17 days howard. with you yeah i really? did i knew i need 17 days with you well, I, I, I realized I, I was the last of the mohicans the mountain came to mohammed and I, i'll be glad to be back anytime uh, thank you bruce. And, and, and please give my love to patty and i will do so i'm an asshole and i've been for many years okay everybody bruce springsteen make sure you check out Thanks, the new album bruce. only the strong Thanks, survive Robin. available on november 11th you want to hear what bruce is listening to and what songs bruce likes Go to that album and go to Series <laughs> 6 of East Street Radio Channel 20. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks.